0: Crash Course podcast. Of course, I'm Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. And welcome to our 2015 year in review. Hope you guys enjoyed our bloopers last year. Our newest ones um, just in case you're wondering, no those gags aren't pre-planned. Steve is just an editing master. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's um, a nice end-of-year sentiment. We'll so, go with that. So before we hey. get <laughs> sure. I did Before we go into our Year in Review, which of course we'll start with our rating changes that we always talk about every year, um, I wanted to take a moment to just acknowledge something that was very important to me musically this year. Um, What I mean by that is a moment this year that has to do with music that kind of just was really important to me, really impactful, it kind of changed my entire year. So for me that was seeing and then the cast release of the Hamilton musical written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, When I saw the musical back in February, it was incredible and it blew me away, Um, and then when the cast album got released, I don't even remember when that was, Um, but whenever that was. It was a while ago. um, I listened to it constantly. For several months, it was all I listened to. So I just wanted to kind of bring that up because I didn't bring it on the show to review. I feel like without the guys being able to see the show, it would be an unfair thing to review. I think that something like a musical should really have the show behind it, even though Hamilton is sung through or rap through in this case. So, this the whole narrative is carried through the the cast album. I still think it'd be unfair to review without them having seen it. Maybe I'll do a write-up on it in 2016, who knows. So that's your seminal moment in music or your seminal thing? Yeah. The seminal just, thing that happened this year. It changed how I looked at musicals because it was so historically nerdy and really great hip-hop and R&B and pop. It just it was one of those things that you know, really spoke to me on so many levels, and and then it carried through when I got to listen to the cast album whenever I wanted. So yeah, that was that was my big deal well, for 2015. Actually,
1: actually, mine kind of connects with that only a little bit. Um, my my big deal is actually just at a little event in my own life, and I announced this earlier this year. Um, around the summertime, I started a gig at uh, Classical Light. It's a a news website where you can find all things classical related you can also find a lot of things other than classical related but that's neither here nor there the site has to make money still classical is the point and it's something that's uh, very personal to me and I don't get to exercise it quite enough here at Crash Chords yet I always keep saying that I'm going to and I it actually may be a window into doing that, because through actually working in Classical Light and writing articles for them, keeping apprised of updates in the Classical community, I'm kind of re-immersed in that atmosphere, and I haven't really been that immersed in that atmosphere ever since college, probably. And as a result, I'm learning about new albums, new updates, and occasionally I write reviews for them. Sometimes I just make the world aware of their existence. and. I have to say, Crash Chords is pretty, still pretty connected to that in my mindset, because then when I consider those albums, I think, well, how would we discuss that on Crash Chords? So it's seminal, I think, for, for me and for its connection to this podcast, because we can be expecting more of that in the future, and little updates as to what's going on in the New York vicinity. Yes, that's very centric for a, a podcast that's supposed to be broadcasted to the world, but nevertheless, um, this is where we're from, and this is where our roots are, so this is who
2: I'll cater to. Thank you. And for me, it was a slow realization over the course of the year of the changes that are starting to really permeate music. I'm not saying music is undergoing a great metamorphosis, but one of the things I've always harped on at uh, with this podcast is I want new, I want content to change, I want quality to change, I want everything to change. That's where I find my fives. And one of my few fives in the past has been Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's The Heist. That blew me away because of the content change and the production value that went into there. But what looking back at a lot of the music we reviewed and knowing how well in mainstream media a lot of the music reviewed, stuff like Black Messiah that we we hit upon very early to the more recent stuff with like Blurry Face and Surf, how how powerful they were, it seems like my desires are actually coming to fruition. Like the stuff I want to happen, I want to change, where they don't have rap and hip-hop that's that typical, you know, kind of personification that the mass media has done, where we have fusion genres that are actually taking the old and taking the new and making things that are awesome. I
1: think it's things we're starting to see already, and, yeah. and certainly from the names that you threw out there, we're, we're seeing it. It's, and, it's changing the shape of music as we see in the 20-teens, which is now identifiable and not just a mysterious thing that we can view
2: as being only a few months in. And that actually will go right into our rating changes. I want to speak specifically of Black Messiah. Early in the year, we ranted and raved about it because it was like the first time we delved into something that was really kind of a new old item. We also owe that, by the way, and this is our first thank
1: you, uh, to the mysterious Mark H., um, I believe it was Mark Hughes. At least that's what the email said. We never heard a response back from him, but in the beginning, it was he was the one who suggested that album, and it was this monstrosity of an email, sort of lauding what we do as the podcast, and it's still one of my most one of my favorite, uh, I guess, quotes to take from a listener of the Crash
2: Course podcast to date. And he suggested that album, and I hope we did it justice. <laughs> And we were amazingly blown away. I remember being amazingly blown away, but over the course of the year, we were amazingly blown away multiple times over the course. And for that, it feels like this was the first delve into something that was exactly what I was talking about, a new kind of evolutionary step, or maybe even a back step that worked out to be a forward step. I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it, but I think I gave it a little bit too much credit. It was a four seven five, I'm actually knocking it down to a four point five.
1: Wow, that's not the direction
2: your setup led you. I know you were gonna go. I know, but it was like it in retrospect, seems like it was so much of what other things we listened to. It wasn't the unique butterfly, in many ways. I thought it was for, at the beginning of the year. Hmm. That's interesting,
1: considering that you, that what you said about Macklemore and Ryan Lewis is the heist. I we may that be on opposite is, fronts of where we want hip hop to go in that in that regard.
2: I and see, That's where my argument would be.
0: Hip hop doesn't have to go in any single front. Okay, so that's there a we go.
1: bold claim right up front.
0: <laughs> my first rating change is also down. Um, an album that I was kind of enamored with just because of kind of how bold it was for the artist to kind of take a new direction, jumping off of an old direction. And that's, of course, Ben Fold's solo record that came out this year, Um, So There. Um, I'd originally give it a five. It was because I was kind of really blown away by the classical stuff that he did, the the, uh, concerto, rather. Um, But upon repeated listens, I realized it's really cool, and it's really good, and I think that he has a knack for doing it, but I think he could do more. And also the poppier chamber choir stuff that came before it, though fun, and makes appearances on my list. I feel like it just wasn't the five I thought it was. I have other fives that I hold true to, like, of course, stereotypes, and I feel like if that's a five, I can't really hold Ben Folds' newest record at the same place. It's just a little lower. So instead of a five, I'm knocking it down to a 4.85 for me. It's just, I feel like, you know, that's more comfortably where it sits. It's really great. It does really interesting, great stuff, but it's just not pinnacle stuff.
1: All right, Um, well in this round, I'll switch it up by, by being a positive one for once. Me, positive humorous. American Beauty, American Psycho by Fallout Boy. I'm still not a fan. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not really a fan. I never was a fan of the band. I believe I made that clear in the episode in which we reviewed it, episode one hundred and thirty-eight, which uh, was also a listener request and was list- and requested by Kristen Mislocky. That's right, Kristen Bislake. Um Which we thank you for, regardless. Uh, <laughs> all thank yous are due. Uh, and here's the, here's the thing: I, I, I do credit the uh, the suggestion because, after all, you can't expect the band to stay the same. And I do believe that even though. Fall Out Boy was always, I guess, identified as being the band that wrote the catchy songs. Um, They weren't looked on in in the same ballpark as a lot of other contemporary indie rock bands, I guess, of the mid-2000s, which is about the time they started getting popular, um, because they were the pop side of that. They were the pop indie. They were the in-your-face. They were the ones that were going to get all the radio play. Um, And I guess as a result, I and... Lots of my friends and and just the general music critic community kind of frowned on it. And I continued to frown on it, even on this album. But I gotta lie, catchy is catchy. And when it does get radio play, despite the little piece of news that I, I made you guys aware of a few weeks ago, the whole semantic satiation business, where just the fact that you hear it on the radio is actually enough to make you think that, well, it is affecting me, it's affecting my life. Well, the song Centuries on that album I think, for better or for worse, it's falling onto that category, and it's, it's in my head, and I'm repeating it later. I, I'm not saying it's the <clears throat> greatest piece of music ever, I'm just saying that it has a place. And when it stays in your head, there's something to be said for that. So I gave that album an abysmal rating of, of 1.5. It, it's not that low. It's, if, it has some, if it has a catchy element to it, it is at least above the twos, and I'm throwing it, just a little bit benefit, benefit of the doubt for it, a 2.1. So, significant enough, I think, for pulling something out of the drudgery of the ones.
0: Okay. Um, and, and there
1: were other tracks on that album, by the way, too, not just Sensories. It was it was catchy.
2: Okay, I forgot that album up until the moment where you said it, so it's not even on my radar. I'm happy <laughs> with it staying as a 175 Fair and enough. being at the bottom barrel here. Fair enough. But um, I do have another drop, and it actually pains me to drop this guy down, but here's my reasoning. There's two albums that I fell in love with and just enjoy so much. In fact, they were fighting for most enjoyable album. But Modest Mouse is just as good as Gleam. They might be Giants. The two of them are essentially, in my mind... One's a more serious version of the other and otherwise there's just so much overlap in Just the way we describe those two albums that I'm dropping Modest Mouse They're ideologically similar in the fact that they play around
1: with words. They have a a Very palpable sense of humor that not a lot of bands have to be honest And they
2: like to really just be all over the place when they're presenting their album One does it as more of a snippet oriented idea. That would be They Might Be Giants. Modest Mouse is more of a It has a formula to it but they're long-form, and they're just esoteric in their ideas. Yeah,
1: if there were slight orders in which came first, the whole chicken and the egg situation, comedy before music or mu- music before comedy, I would say that They Might Be Giants were slightly closer
2: to comedy before music. But um, that being said, slim I... Slim margin, though. I'm, I'm, it's a tiny drop, but from a 4.75 to a 4.7, I have to say, Modest Mouse, Strangers to Ourself, is, is like the bar setter when compared to Might Be Giants. They're equal.
1: Okay. All right. Hey, the little, little, little touches these, matter these in, the upper, in the upper so echelon. Matter. For us, they matter. Right. <laughs> and anyone who cares to read the it. Excel document. Right. Um, actually, no, because we never make these changes in the Excel document. You'll have to listen to this episode.
0: Um, my next rating change is an increase. It's a band that I've kind of talked about at length now at this point. I mentioned in a lot of pre-rolls. I've talked to the guys about that I've kind of fallen in love with since. So I have to bump it up because of the kind, the way it makes me think and how I found meaning in it time and time again after listening to it over and over, and that's, of course, Twenty One Pilots and their album Blurry Face. I'd originally rated it at a 4.25, but it's better than that. I've just discovered so much more meat in it, there's so much more meaning, even meaning that Star F had pointed out after the fact when he commented about us reviewing it, and going back and listening and hearing those dynamics. So. I'm bumping it up to a 4.5. I feel like it's approaching upper echelon. It, it really is. the, they're, the cat, Not just the catchiness like Steve was talking about before with Fall Out Boy, because that's there here in this album too, but the inventiveness, the, the interesting way they deliver the music, the interesting name of the band, which I hadn't realized was for the 21 pilots, I think it was in World War II, who were killed. They were uh, African-American pilots who were killed oh. in... Go figure! Yeah, <laughs> and so we don't do all of our research. No, um, actually, my wife Sarah pointed that out to me because she was curious about what it, what the name meant. Um, I think that they're a phenomenal band, and they have the makings, like John even pointed out, of becoming that next up step in music evolution, or at least leading the charge. So I'm bumping that up.
1: Yeah, I'll keep mine where it is, but that's I still believe your good faith in them, <laughs> and I, I share the same. Um, all right, I'm gonna go next with uh, the exact. Flip side of what my previous rating chains was uh, <laughs> 1.5 to 2.1. This had a 2.1, and I'm bringing it down to 1.5. Hesitant alien <laughs> by Gerard Way. Excellent.
0: Uh, Excellent.
1: Thanks, Robert. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's gonna be living that one down for a while. Yeah, he was our guest. He brought that. Oh, jeez. Credit even...
0: where credits due, though. He listened to that album months before he came on the show, but had already decided to bring it and stuck already... to no, it. And and you know what? And he's I... our
1: only guest to present in yeah. 175 episodes. He's the only guest to present that brought an album because they disliked it. Yeah. And I think I I credit him to that. I think that's a very uh, it takes. A strong-willed person to do that, especially since he was a fan of of Jarred Way, correct? Yeah. And My Chemical Romance, and My which, Chemical Romance, yes, correct. Very and correct. that's just the thing. And I'll, I'll, uh, spoiler alert. I'll get into this a little bit more later in this episode. <laughs> I think we but all will. Th- th- the fact of the matter is, I understand the whole pared-down concept, the whole, oh, we're gonna simplify it and reduce it, make it sound like it's back in a garage. I'm tired of it. I'm yeah. tired of it. There's another word for that, <laughs> and that is lazy. Yeah. But that album is, and that album certainly deserves to be in the ones, considering it makes no pretenses at being likable over the course of its horrendous... <laughs> it's just, ugh, I can't. It, I can't yeah. with it. I can't.
2: No, it's okay. I can't. I, we understand. It sits in the ones. A lot of things sit in the ones. No, no, w- a lot don't. Yeah, That's no, the a thing. lot of things do, and I'm right with you. I did the same exact thing. Okay. did <laughs> okay. you? Yeah, that, no, it drops just... down to a oh, 175.
1: Okay,
0: I was harshest then. Well, moving right along, um, to quote the Muppets uh my next rating is a drop uh my rating change and it's actually another guest brought album it's not as steep of a plunge but well actually mathematically no yours is still steeper 0.6 anyway (laughs) um it's the album beat the champ by the mountain goats which i really like and i think is a really good album i was so happy that anya keister brought that for us um she was She's still to date probably our most prepared guest. It's safe to say. Yes. With notes and everything. Been very very satisfied with the diversity of our guests yes. in terms of what they brought to the table.
1: So she brought notes to the table.
0: And uh, I gave it a four point four, but upon multiple listens and kind of sitting with it, I think it's just an even four. It's good. It's really good, but it's not great. <clears> it it's, <throat> it's solid. I think that it was very. It was the the best attempt we've seen at someone making a personal album about raising children and their own childhood that didn't feel hokey or sticky it felt very sincere and and it was done very well so for that i give it you know still it stays at a firm four but it just wasn't as incredible as i kind of initially put it to be uh
1: once again and this was unintentional but uh (laughs) this is my third rating already that's come from an album that that someone brought to Mm -hmm. us Uh, And this is my third and final rating. So uh, rating change. So if you guys have more, you can just go solo. Uh, Jose, thanks for Great Pretenders by Mini Mansions. Mm. I have gotten such such enjoyment out of that album. He brought that uh, for episode one fifty eight. If you want to check it out, go back check it out. Um, I- this makes such great driving music. Not only just the connection to the Arctic Monkeys and the fact that actually from listening to our podcast way back in episode 66, Jose himself got into the Arctic Monkeys, and I had such a similar feeling about that album and how it grew on me over the course of time. Mini Mansions is another case of the same. I had only given it the benefit of the doubt uh, upon our week listen leading up to that episode. I gave it a uh, 4.1. It's good with a little plus. It's more than that. It really is more than that. That album has this amazing flow to it, uh, back and forth, and another spoiler alert, we'll be getting more into this, but it's going up to a 4.4. Not a huge rating change, but actually it's pretty big considering it's in the 4s. It's gone from the benefit of the doubt to being just a hair below the upper echelon. I think it has that, that well of a flow to it, that much catchiness in throughout. Uh, drive around to it. Seriously, it's, it's
2: worth it. My final change is no surprise because I've done this before for this very band. God sticks. I gotta bump it up to a four nine.
0: Ooh. It's just
2: so good. <laughs> it good really stuff. is. Like in retrospect, it's not as good, but it's almost as. I don't know how else a looks. point as, one you mean, is as still good as Invisage's Conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Envisage I made it a five zero at the end of the year, this one is just shy of being as good because, well, they're that
0: good. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that would be my... Yeah. My final rating change is from yet another guest brought album. Jeez. Um, this is from uh, Joe Benjamin and the Mighty Handful. Um, he brought Banda Magda. Um, uh, and the album title, Steve, pronounce it for me because you're better at it. Amortella. Thank you. Question um, mark. I put it at a, five, a 4.95. And... My problem is, is as I listen to it more, I just feel like it's not, it's upper echelon. I'm only knocking it down to a 4.75, but I just, because of enjoyment, connection, whatever, you, whatever it is, I just, I didn't get as much out of it as I got out of, say, Ben Folds or Stereotypes, which were in my higher ratings. It's just, there's something about it. It's less tangible for me. Maybe it's the disconnect because of language, but I don't even think it's that. I think maybe there's just something about it that I feel like it's still... Familiar enough that it's just not at that upper echelon, upper upper upper. <laughs> so, so I'm knocking it down a little bit. But the, I will keep my 4.9 on that. Thank you very much. You do that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm knocking that down a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's speaking to all of these changes and just in general spoiler alert also and then I promise we won't say those words again for the rest of the show unless we start talking about Star Wars. I have a I'm l- not promising anything. I have a lot of uh, thank yous to do at the end of the show for this year because of the great guests we've had and the great content they brought us. Um but let's get r- right into our general prizes. Our first category, you know, our more general stuff before we get to the worst and the best. Um And, of course, the first one is catchiest song, which I will start us off with, and I already know.
2: No, no, no. I
0: have to start, because I know what you're going to say, so
2: I have to start. This way I get a chance to shine.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: pass the buck, man.
2: Okay. I did it last year. I think I read all of them. Yeah, (laughs) go for it. 21 Pilots, Blurry Faced, Stressed Out. Same. I cannot get... I know, that's why I had to start, and I know you have a runner-up that's actually mentionable. But this song, I... I don't care what you think. And that's the crux of it, the lines, right there. I'm blurry face, and I don't care what you think. Just kink it out of my head. The mentality behind that and the nonchalantness of the delivery of that hook makes it just an earworm that I love. I love humming along to it. I love singing along to it. I love just enjoying the music.
0: I love thinking about that song because it's just fun for me. For me, as far as the catchiest song goes, my criteria is if I want to listen to it on loop multiple times, and I don't mean a couple times. I mean like ten times in a row. That's usually what does it for me. And this song was that, of course, Dressed Out by 21 Pilots. Since John spoke about it at length, I don't really have much to add other than it was incredibly catchy. I did have my only tie, I Lied, Steve. Um, It's not a tie. It's an honorable Uh, mention. There's a song that was... Almost the catchiest song. It was so close, but the way the song ends takes me out of the song and makes it not catchy but introspective, which is still good. And that's Slip Slide by Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment featuring B O B, BJ the Chicago Kid, Buster Rhymes, Janelle Monet, and A.D. Suleiman. That song was almost a catchiest song for me. Really recent for you guys, yeah, just uh, it, two weeks ago,
1: and not too many more weeks ago for uh, Twenty One Pilots.
0: And it, that song, the only reason it's not catchy it for me is because within the last like thirty to forty seconds, it gets really slow and really not catchy and really <coughs> contemplative, and that kind of takes you out of that moment. I still enjoy the song, but it just—it's what kept it from being my catchiest song. Well, not to, not not to <coughs> say this is a contest, but. Uh, Oh boy, I, I
1: really I really think I reached back further for this, much, much further back, which means I've sat with it for longer, and I've listened to it so much more, which is why I agree 100% with your your definition of what the catchiest song is, is that you, you have to sit with it many, many, many times in a row. I can still remember not being able to stop and not being able to continue the album, even on the first listen when we actually reviewed it. A uh, little history here. I'm the youngest of the three of us, it should be said. Thoroughly a teen of the 2000s. After all, my childhood influences, once they're set in, it, it was really all indie rock for me. Funk infused indie rock, that's what had me going in the early 2000s. Franz Ferdinand, Killers when they were good. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it already seems like ages ago to me. And indie rock, frankly, lately, it hasn't really been that catchy. A lot of bands are repeating themselves, so it's hard to feel it again. And then this song came along, and it just blew my mind with the amount of influences that they effortlessly smacked together. The Ground Walks with Time in a Box by a Modest Mouse <laughs> off of Strangers to Ourselves. We reviewed that in episode 137. Ah, uh, this For texture alone, the rhythm in the song is irresistible. It's not even really that musically complex. It's mostly a jam on one chord, but it's confident. It knows what it captured. The whole song feels like... Like, that moment that might arise no more than one time, perhaps, in an impromptu jam with people that don't even know each other. When the right thing happens and when people are just in sync, it's magic in a bottle that they don't even know what to do with, and you're afraid to change up that chord because what you have is just too good. The rhythm, the texture, it sounds like a room full of 30 people just captured that magic and kept it alive for the whole song. The verses here could go on forever, and I'd love it. The chorus goes above and beyond, dropping down for a couple octaves, kind of compressing the whole thing into this sway, this workable anthem that could also go on forever. The, the kalimba, the finger piano, everything. I love it. And it's drivable to say the
2: least. And that's interesting because that's what decided my most enjoyable album of the year, our next category, Modest Mouth, Strangers to Ourselves. It was the Ground Walks' Time in a Box that separated it from Glean. That song was so encapsulating for me. It's what made me just listen to it so much more than Glean. And I know we've had longer to sit on Modest Mouse, but as far as enjoyment goes, the Modest Mouse album delivers all the right chords, all the right time for me. I just love grooving with it. It's also more familiar because it's a lot like every other Modest Mouse album, which is a great thing. It hits all the same sort of peaks and valleys as the album goes along. And unlike other bands that I have issues with when they do this, like Bowling for Soup, every single one of their albums has the same up and down, and I love Bowling. Same thing with like Dropkick Murphys, another one of those bands that every album sounds the same in the same order. Modest Mouse is always fresh. So I always like just listening to their things. And I
1: think that's why, I, another reason why I love this so much is because Modest Mouse was a band that I was in, fearful of thinking that they were so much a product of the 2000s that they couldn't make it alive again. And then they brought that song, and I was just like, I feel like I'm 14 again, and I'm just dancing around when
2: no one's there. And that's, that's another and I did, thing. In fact. That's, that's <laughs> another final point about why it's my most enjoyable. It was just the nostalgia factor. It was just perfect for me to just groove along and listen to and still get something that was fresh from an artist I
1: loved. Fun fact, I added another little uh, strategy to that and that was uh, jamming along to it myself, just patching it through my keyboard and trying to just come up with And I would repeat the same sections over and over
0: again, try to the chorus, try to the verse. Uh, (laughs) Very high. Um, my most enjoyable album I previewed with my Katya song. To say, though, um, Modest Mouse is an album that I didn't really listen to a lot after we listened to it. Until recently, when doing research for the year-end special, I listened to it a bunch again. And it's a solid album. It's great. I really like it. I think it makes an appearance somewhere on my list, though I can't honestly remember now. Um, but it wasn't my most enjoyable album. My most enjoyable album, which will surprise nobody, was Face. Twenty One Pilots. Actually, see I, see I am how surprised attached you are to these recent albums. I'm so surprised. it's not—it's not being attached to recent albums. I really listened to almost every single album we reviewed leading up to this episode. Okay. It's just this album. Multiple songs get a huge emotional reaction out of me. Multiple songs make me think. I get very focused listening to the record. I f- get more out of Blurry Face than I have gotten out of any other album this year. The fact that it came towards the end of the year is just coincidence, it has nothing to do with anything. I think that this band has a unique tenacity that I've not found in a lot of other bands, and it made me excited to listen to music that wasn't Hamilton again, that's what really, was the nail in the coffin for it being most enjoyable, as I'd been listening to Hamilton nonstop for a month. We reviewed this album, and it broke me out of that spell almost. I will say this about that album, and even though it may not be my most
1: enjoyable, Blurry Face by 21 Pilots was an album that I think did a certain theme so much better than so many other albums have, and that was that concept, that meta concept, which we, we talked at length about afterwards, which is looking at your own art. Uh, in, in And that was a refreshing a refreshing. Uh, way about going about that theme because so many times artists don't pull it off well. They, they pull it off and it just sounds like they're a little bit too inward and it's almost hard to really get into the, the music with them but I was able to do that with 21 Pilots so I'll give them that
2: credit. See I would have thought something more alongs of like Steve Wilson or something like that might have been your favorite of the year.
0: Mm, I We're not a favorite yet. Yeah. We're all enjoyable. All, I mean, most enjoyable. This is
1: an album, and this will, I guess this will lead uh, lead it into mine. Um, enjoyable to me is something that it's just very much like a Song. It's an album that you feel like you can very freely play over and over again. Now, I have had this issue in the past where it does really sound like it means it's your best album of the year. Um, sometimes you need to be in the zone yeah. for your best album of the Absolutely. year because it is so, so moving and it was so, so weighted but enjoyable is very free and that's why you don't really have to wait that long for the spoiler that i announced earlier the great pretenders by mini mansions once again thanks jose this kind of goes back to my indie rock comment but whereas modest mouse can throw you for a loop every track that's kind of what they do you know offering more curiosities uh than things that are really maybe going to stay with me uh with the exception perhaps of groundwalks time with time to box um well this whole album great pretenders kind of attached itself to me. I, I do think it's a grower, much like we said about uh, Arctic Monkeys, um, kind of continuing with that little metaphor. But front to back, this album just stays with me. When it's being catchy, when it's being emotional, no matter what, it just has a great flow in my opinion, partially owed to those Beatles references, because after all, what is more Catchy than the Beatles, it stood the test of time. Uh, I will even go through every single song. This is uh, <laughs> bear with me here because I need to do this for my most enjoyable album because I feel like every song has to pack some kind of punch. Starting from "Freak Out," it just has this great theater sing-along vibe to it. "Death as a Girl" is a strangely has a strangely hypnotic flow and an addicting hook. "Creeps" is literally on the level of "While My Guitar Gently Reaps." I, I think it is right there. It moves me in the same way as "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." And it's tough to capture that magic, I think. Fantasy goes from great workout music into this like underwater adventure from the chorus, and any emotions just speaks for itself. It's tear-jerking, and the bass in Vertigo between that and the 70s funk strings, it has some of the best mixing of the year to me. And then Honey, I'm Home is just so fun in and of itself. The rhythms in Mirror Mountain are strikingly innovative, and Heart of Stone makes me feel like the Beatles' breakup is right around the corner. And then there's Double Visions in the end again, which are the last two tracks, and they were just okay. But that's, a majority. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, that's yes, the majority. That's what I'm saying. That's the majority. You made your point. Yes. <coughs> um, yeah, they may have captured this mostly, I think, with genre or era references, which keeps my mind from being entirely blown and keeps it from being my favorite album of the year, but you can't argue with results. It's a success, once again. It is great driving music, and that's why I,
0: I changed my, my rating. Okay. Um, I'm going to start us off with best lyrics. So, typically in the past, This song, Best Lyrics, has usually been for innovative lyrics, or lyrics that really make you think, or... or, Feels. feels. There's feels. Or clever. And this is a year where I'm going for more clever. But whereas They Might Be Giants in the past, when we did Best Lyrics because it was clever and kind of complex, this time, it's just clever and kind of stupid fun. Mm. So my best lyrics are, of course, F10, D.A., by Benfold. And, oh, oh okay. and it's only because of pretty much the 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 F. only thing they say all the time, which is F in, d- in the A. F in the A. F in the A with a D, F in a the d. A with a D. A, a big d. fat D. C. Really put a lot of thought into your lyrics of the year here, didn't you? No, C <laughs> what it's <if, laughs> like to be flat. But what's interesting <laughs> about those lyrics is they're great because of the music that's behind them. But still, they're funny and they're fun. And for me, these lyrics stood out more than any other song on any other album this year because of how goofy and just nonchalant it was. That's what makes it fun and funny and what makes them my best lyrics. It's the idea that also, in the courses, when there's harmonization, while Ben Folds is saying f in the A, the chamber choir is saying f 10 D-A, which is what he's emulating. And so I think that's... Just, it was fun. It was silly, it was fun, and that's why it's my best lyrics of the year. I believe a few years ago you did Stuff His Way.
2: Yes, which so, is what okay. I that's was That's what I was trying to, to remember. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's I what I was it, Which is why, to. actually, in my opinion,
1: I don't think you really changed it up very no, much. No, I think that's you're not still right right. in the same ballpark as far as what you're feeling from lyrics lately.
2: Frankly, I... That was number two. I actually have it written down, and I moved it around to something else. Uh, but Glean... Hate the Villanelle by They Might Be Giants is a song I set to be my alarm to wake up in the morning (laughs) because I love that song. Don't hate the villain, hate the villanelle. With these picky rules and odd jigsaw rhymes, curses. These verses are my prison cell. That's a villanelle. They write a villanelle and insult the same thing they're writing. It is... Met on so many levels and presented in the words so perfectly that I love it. I love it. It's accompanied with amazing music, but it's the way he designed a beautiful song to make fun of itself that just really got me with those lyrics. Yeah, you were feeling the jokes this year, both of you.
1: Um, yeah, sorry to be the the downer here, but I had to. I had hey, to go something for. I had to go to something personal because after all, last year I did choose stuff, stuff his way. I remember right along you when we had our yeah. little moment there. Um... <laughs> But well, this, this time I was feeling hmm, a little, little little down, it was almost an impulse choice, but when you really think about the theme and what it kind of meant as a whole and what it meant to me, eh, this, was pretty, this was pretty powerful. This was the second to last track off of Stephen Wilson's Hand Cannot Erase. Uh, Happy Returns. Hey brother, Happy Returns, it's been a while now. I bet you thought that I was dead, but I'm still here, nothing's changed. Hey, brother, I'd love to tell you I've been busy, but that would be a lie, because the truth is, the years just pass like trains. I wave, but they don't slow down. Hey, brother, I see the freaks dispossessed on the day release, avoiding the police. I feel I'm falling once again, but there's no one left to catch me. Hey, brother, I feel like I'm living in parentheses, and I've got trouble with the bills. Do the kids remember me? Well, I've got the gifts for them, and for you, more sorrow. But I'm feeling kind of drowsy now. So I think I'll finish this tomorrow. These lyrics may not mean anything to the, the casual listener who has not really heard this album. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the album. Well, And then, of course, because we would very much like you to, our podcast, episode 142's uh, Hand Cannot Erase by Stephen Wilson. The theme itself is the crux. It was based on a real story, and I, I, I will just repeat this lightly for the sake of this year in review. The real story, of course, was based on a, a, a woman, Joyce Carol Vincent, who lived in Britain, and then sadly passed away in her own, in her own studio apartment, with uh, the rent being paid automatically, with the power on, and everything just continued as usual. And no one knew that she died. For three years straight, no one knew that she died. And they found her, this was in 2003, and they found her in 2006. It it, it brought a lot of tears to mind, even when I first heard of this story long before I had heard of this album. And while the album itself may not have been my favorite, because after all, Stephen Wilson, he did kind of have the theme handed to him on a silver platter. I think it was very sweet of him, a sweet gesture to to bring this to mind, and to make music out of it, and embody a a character within the album that would somehow reflect the real life of Joyce Carol Vincent. Um, And it is slightly different than the real event, but it really is the same concept. And these lyrics, I think, really just, they are the crux moment. This is the moment, essentially, if if you recall that, hey brother, I feel like I'm living in parentheses, uh, I've got trouble with the bills, do the kids remember me? Well, I've got gifts for them. She's preparing things, she's making plans. But I'm feeling kind of drowsy now. I think I'll finish this tomorrow. She dies at that moment. And I love the implication in the lyrics there. Because you know that going in. You know it going into the album, you should probably know the theme. It's it's self apparent. It was news. And and he just compresses it into this, this depressing way of feeling that your life can end at any moment. And to me that was, I think, one of the most poignant things of, of the year. Especially the line, I feel like I'm living in parentheses. People do this too many times, I think, in their lives. And they just sort of live without really living.
2: From here,
0: we're going to go on to a next moving subject. Most moving album of the year. Which, which, which of course, will be followed by most moving song. They are paired together, though not necessarily have to be from the same record.
2: For me, this was, I guess, uh, an odd choice in some ways, but kind of inevitable in my eyes. Only because being completely in French, I got an emotional connection to this album, I I, I think transcended the language barrier. Oh, that was so close for me. <laughs> yeah, Banda Magda, me Amor, Te. Yes. Amor Te. It means love, where are you? It was moving for an album I couldn't understand. And it, since it had lyrics, it had a vocalist you have to know that there was meaning behind the words, even if it was just snippet meetings, if it was just pointed single ideas, there was a meaning there and I understood said meaning without actually understanding the character's actual words. And for that, it's, it's what moved me because the music itself, honestly, should not be my cup of tea. I've listened to other things in the same, uh, Brazilian Toro samba style, and I really did not get it. I really did not feel it the same way. But here, this album, you, you got a Greek whose primary language is 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 English, singing in French. She's multilingual, multi everything, instrumental. She's all over the place. She and as makes Joe a Benjamin wo- said, she's crazy.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs>
2: she makes a work of art that I that really does break down the language barrier for me. And considering how word heavy I
0: am. It's amazing just to be immersed in that. I I I actually I'm on the, I'm not just saying this cuz Steve said it. It was almost my pick as well cuz it is. I I feel like it did really transcend language which is important when picking something emotional because if you can get that emotion without the language that's a big deal i only i almost feel like the reason i didn't is just to kind of keep this list diverse and so yeah. i can mention as much as i can that was part of it for me and it was also because and we talked about this a little off air when prepping for the year in review this year i found myself having trouble remembering the earlier stuff that we'd listened to and kind of In my mind, jumping to conclusions and going, oh, this was obviously the most moving album and song. And Mm -hmm. then going, coming through all the stuff that we had done and going and finding, and this alludes to what my most uh, moving song will be, but I won't say it yet. My most moving album, I listened to the album and went, "Oh, oh, yeah, my heart's breaking. This is the album. And I have a feeling that Steve might agree with me. We'll see. My most moving album is Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens. Bingo. There is no way that this couldn't be my most moving album because it's absolutely heartbreaking to hear someone talk <coughs> and sing about the death of their parents. It's just, it's so palpable and powerful. And and I'll let Steve speak on it a little bit and then I'll start Most Moving Song since it's connected to this album. It is on the Sufjan Stevens album. But the, something about Sufjan Stevens that was surprising to me is based on what Steve had told me about him and... All of the music that I had heard of his prior, I expected this guy to kind of be very young, and he's not. He's not old by any means either, but he's not a a young. I thought he was in his twenties. I thought he was, you know, a whelp because it just it seemed like that kind of young, cool, hip kind of musician. It's kind of how he's seen, I guess. And so, but to hear this album, then that's so poignant, so powerful, and so weathered, was just so powerful. It is quite
1: amazing how he manages to compress just about everything that his mother had meant to him in the course of this album. And also, unlike a very complex theme, well not so complex, but the, the theme after all of, of Han Cannot Race is complex because it deals with isolation and all of that. This I guess is, is simpler by contrast, just in the fact that it is the death of his mother. It, it's something all of us are going to have to deal with it. Uh, at some point, and, and I, I feel that it's it's tough even to build an album around that because, all right, yeah, you're going to get some points for just maybe having someone relate because, well, you're the odds are someone's going to relate. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make it unique in the process, it will be unique by virtue of the fact that, well, his mother is a unique human being, yeah. and that, I think, is something that a lot of people are fearful of maybe in their music and, and Bringing that uniqueness to the crowd, wondering if they'll understand, I understood. I understood from the first track, I understood. And I still remember how every single track just deals with another aspect of her death. Going from the first track where I feel like I understand the type of relationship they had, you know, she even calls her a tired old mare, which is such a—it—it it almost sounds like an insult, but it's—it's—it's it's sweet when you think about the fact that she was worn out. She was mm-hmm. worn out at the very end. The—the implication—I'm not sure if it was an implication, it may have just been said flat out—that it was cancer. Yeah. Um. And then later on, she—he goes into other things like him sitting by the bedside at the hospital bed, the—the—the the, the track where you're left to believe that this is the moment, this is the—the the slipping away into death. I—it. Uh, it, yeah. I. It's the only album this year which really, really did have me on on the tears of of utter sadness. It makes you fearful of the moment in which
0: your own mother will die or God forbid she's passed already. And that moment that Steve just <clears throat> mentioned is what what will take us into our most moving song because that moment of of losing his mother is in the song Fourth of July, which is my yes. most moving song. Fourth, of, So, here's so what had happened was, it was slow at work the day. I was kind of doing some research for this, and I was listening, and I was at work. I was at my computer. I think I, the office was empty at the time. And so, I'm coming through Sufjan Stevens, and I'm like, Oh, I remember something important about the Fourth of July. Let me listen to that. And as soon as I started li- listening to that song, the emotion welled up, because I remembered exactly what song it was. And listening to the lyrics, it happens. it's This is the song where he sings about the actual death of his mother when he loses her. And it's so powerful, probably. I'm starting to get upset just talking about it. The, the reason I think it's so upsetting to me is because listening to it, and my mother's been in the hospital and she's had surgery recently and there's been other things that have happened, it made me immediately think of it being my own mother immediately i felt like it was my mother and it brought me to tears i had the same experience and the funny thing is yes we're
1: going to to dwell on this and and mull on it a little more because my most moving song was also from the from the same album and it brings us right back to the very conversation the very debate one might say artistic debate it really means nothing at the end uh between which was our favorite song on that album and mine had been the very first so this is a complete reflection of that episode and it still stands uh death with dignity the very first track which is the track said, describes sort of the type of relationship they had. And there's something, like, it's not the most, it doesn't have that, 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 uh, that bass sound where you can actually feel like death creeping in like Fourth of July had. For some reason, like, it's, it almost feels like a lot more lighthearted track, an introduction into the world of their relationship. And that, for some reason, Got me more in tears than maybe most tracks most tracks on that album. Of course I, I still chose the album as a whole, so clearly there's not much of a, a variation. But this track was the one. This was the one that actually got the, the tears welling up, and the fact that it was the first track. That that is to me pretty incredible. Because normally when you're near tears, you gotta be sitting with an album for a while. You're in the zone. And here it was just boom, fist punch to the face.
2: I'm so Sort of repeating myself with the most moving song, only because I'm sort of repeating you guys. You don't have to. <laughs> the ground walks with time in a box. What? There is wow. a tragic aspect of it that is ineffable to me. Is it in
1: the chorus when the, during no, that sway? No, in the
2: very beginning, just in the actual style and the lyrics themselves. My
1: catchiest song is your most moving song. I don't think this is unprecedented. This has not happened before, probably. This
2: is... I love the song. I love to zone the song. But it feels like I can use it to change emotions. Interesting. Because just take up the lyrics. Open up a window, all the air, oh, the air is falling out. Eyes vacuum up light, sound gets trapped by the mouth. We'll deal with the remainder when the the dents get hammered out then we'll travel through time it was just shy of being best lyrics right away it was just shy of being best lyrics but I'm not trying to like take you down a peg or anything like
1: that it's just that during those lyrics I'm too busy dancing (laughs) but I guess I guess and this is the funny thing
2: about music I guess I'm being moved so you know what not gonna disagree that's the thing the music itself is part of the, the lyrics and part the instrumentation but the two things can exist separately, and one side—the lyrics—come off as bitter street tragedy, for me when viewed from a certain point of view. While well, at the same time, the happy-go-lucky plucky is just amazing and energizing, and I get riled up with it. I mean. I can treat it three separate ways, the together or as this component parts, and it's amazing for them. And
1: I think I see exactly where you're coming from okay. with this. And well, I, think and also, I
2: think I'm there. I just, again, had to keep this
1: list yes. diverse
0: because I knew it was going to be undercatching. Well, and I agree with Steve. I think me and Steve took moving as sad in this case, but it doesn't have to be. It's just it has to move you somehow. And yeah. to us, it and was incredibly, incredible sadness. Why we it's, have this episode. It's the yeah. Triforce it. of moving for me, so I just had to go with it. Um, from here, I would like to go to Favorite Singular Moment, a, a topic and a category that I often struggled with because in the past, it would always be, Steve is a very moment to moment person. He talks about it a lot. and so These are easier, I feel, for him to pick out, whereas for me, whole songs have to be moments for me because I can't really pick out specific moments, but that said, I feel like this year, an entire song being a, a favorite singular moment for me is because you cannot take this song apart, it has to exist together. And it's actually from a very recent record. And it was, all of the song, Something Came to Me by Donny Trumpet and A Social Experiment. There's something about this song that's purely euphoric. It puts me in a zone that I have not felt from any other song. Listening to it on complete, from start to finish, the interesting tones, the, the way it's structured, but this unique and beautiful flow for the song is just it, it takes me away like i said it gives me a euphoria that a lot of other music has never given to me so for me that's what dictated my favorite singular moment this year
2: uh, <laughs> i laughed nervously nothing came to me oh that's funny yeah
1: the the antithesis of that the the answer
2: to it purely because and it's funny because i was the vain representation the, two. the the representation of nothing came to me of I don't know what's going on was that crystalline moment of like sort of like a delve into a musician's mind when there's nothing to write on the chalkboard if you get my drift or nothing to put down to paper or nothing to play with those fingers that you have on the keys or on the buttons or what have you. It was that, that, ins- that, that, that moment right on the cusp of inspiration. This is a very interesting case, because I feel like in
1: many ways, and I appreciate the nod to, like, how I, I really do like moments in music, but I feel like in some ways you almost missed the point, because after all, by picking an entire song, yeah, of course, if it has a somewhat uniformed quality to it that you wholeheartedly enjoy, you can consider it to be like a moment. But, um... I do the, it, I do it every year. The the irony Well year. the irony here is actually that although I'm normally at no shortage of having those moments this year it was really tough because I did see a lot of what you're seeing right now. I saw a lot of those songs in which uniformly It's just, I'm looking for a good quality, I'm looking for a bad quality, I'm kind of on, I was on your front. So I had to really sort of get myself back in my own prior mindset for this category, because I didn't have as many. Or I rather, I didn't want to do it at the expense of the song as a whole. I wanted to really talk about a moment. So this is actually from our first album of the year. Uh, episode 126. We did Zero by FX Twin. This is a really minor one. It's almost—it's almost just like a, a moment I had chose because I was encapsulated by it. But there was a track called—and uh, of course we hate these titles—but it's what he likes to do. "180 dB" underscore bracket 130 close bracket. Oh, you um, read the spam mail. <laughs> it sounds like a spam mail. But uh, yes, that is actually a song. It was—I don't remember the exact track number. It's a—it's a—it's a ways into the album. But it was that of a track that had this very strange rhythmic approach to it. The entire thing was almost kind of uniform because of this rhythm. And then there's a moment at two minutes, 27 seconds, where it actually repeats the underlying thump that it began with. So after kind of blaring this almost trance-like, Acid techno in your face for the duration then at 2 minutes 27 seconds. It reduces that And it's just that that reduction and it has to do with of course his his electronica prowess Where he was able to get some kind of resonance in that thud that really made me kind of re-immersed into electronica I just I I loved it as
0: a singular moment. I, I only laugh because you singing the song immediately made me remember it. And I didn't really remember a lot of that album, but when you sang that, like, I yep. remember that. And it, 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 it comes just, back. It makes yeah. me laugh. Well,
2: it's kind of earwormy in its own way because yeah. it's designed that way. Actually, I had a similar runner-up in F10DA <laughs> where it's right before he says C. For the first time, and everything starts stepping in. Oh yeah, that, right was, a before, that was a good moment yeah. too.
0: But only as an anticipation, yeah. and that's why I had to take it out. Because it wasn't the whole moment. It was just because you were anticipating something after the moment, that made was, the moment.
2: No, no, no. It was in retrospect. I heard it, and then I know right before he says "see what's gonna happen," except I know it's coming. It's um, not yeah. that actual moment. I got, you. I got it.
1: I, I feel you there. Um, all right, let's uh, move on to our next category. The most innovative album. And uh, this is
2: where it starts getting meatier. This yeah. is and a t- tricky
1: one. Um, I I was almost like down to the wire on this. <laughs> like really down to the wire because there are so many contenders. And you might be very, very surprised as to which one mine is. No, I'm not. I'm pretty
0: sure that you, no one will be surprised at what mine is. But we'll see. Um, but Rivington Sydney. Now Rio by Prefuse 73. I am surprised, actually.
1: Surprised, huh? This is one of the only albums that I brought from a band that I previously liked that did not disappoint me in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. I approached with very few expectations, and I was mind-blown. I, I, I remember that episode, though, and I was clearly not as... as I mean, you guys were clearly not as mind-blown as I was. Mm-hmm. I think this is perhaps one of our least discussed and most underrated albums of the year, but in reviewing it, I think its subtleties were brilliant. It, it actually managed to reconcile what I like about Electronica with what I like about music. And that's not to separate electronica from music, although I realize I clearly just did that. But electronica is, to me, almost more of a fascination, kind of a curiosity in the same way that I was fascinated by that uh, Aphex Twin moment that I mentioned just, uh, just a moment ago. But this is the thing. There are so many moments on this album that gives me chills. In the way that only electronica, I think, can do, but combined with the fact that there are very palpable melodies here, Front to back, the transitions, the composition here, this album is almost to me what TV on the radio's Desperate Youth Bloodthirsty Babes was to me back in 2004, which is an album that I've really lauded uh, due to its noir, macabre, and and miserable nature, but this album is all of those things again. And it's also exploratory. I think it's moving me in a way that will continue to grow with time. But I'm fascinated by the manner in which they chose to do it. For everything from from infrared, uh, which is an incredibly moving track, but also I think it's pushing. I think it's actually pushing the boundaries of music. I realize this is not just about what's moving, but what's what's innovative. And I think that this this these artists, Prefuse Seventy Three, which actually is just uh, one artist, Scott Heron. I shouldn't say they. Um, It's something in the way that he manages to bring electronica and and the melodic quality of music together uh, because people don't normally associate them as together.
2: My most innovative album is literally centuries in the making. Black Violin's Stereotypes. Yep, that, was mine a, too. that was a
1: contender for me. So that was Very mine close. too. Um, yeah, it's, it,
2: there's
0: it, no other way to describe a classical hip-hop album. Well, it's beyond that for me. It's the fact that this album is no secretly rated a 5 by me, and it's one of the reasons I lowered my rating on Ben Folds this album is what as i said in my review for why i gave it a five besides the emotional attachment the the incredible sounds the lyrics everything else because it's where i think music is going it's a forerunner for where music is headed because of how innovative it was not just the instrumentation and the hip-hop and the pop and the r&b but how it was used how it was mixed and what interesting things they did to expand or develop it. I want a quick note
1: on that. That's because Black Violin was an album that I brought, and mm-hmm. I, 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 I admired it for all those same reasons. My experience was that, as I said in the outset, you know, going through a Classic Light, I, I get invited to concerts, you know, I review them, and I really immerse myself into their, their live setting. And I really I really was thinking that this album was going to be, like, the, the, the penultimate thing. And I feel like it was very, very close. I feel like it... it It is headed in the right direction, and that definitely does make it innovative, but I feel there was just some slight little element that is missing. I still think that in some sense, I saw the hip-hop, and then I saw the classical, and I feel like it wasn't quite the same merging that I had felt on on Prefuse 73. Even though Prefuse 73 is not something that I felt I was going back to so frequently, when I immersed myself into it, I understood what was just so, so unique
2: there. And for me, it felt like they were two spirits playing with this album. Yeah. The 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 modern and the classical did really have an overlap. They there was a fusion that by the end of the album, I really feel like uh, black violin has made it its own, has made a true well, new I'm, genre. I'm glad here. you guys
1: liked it. And it I, was, I I don't want to short didn't, sell it. It it I like it quite a well, bit. The, the, you didn't even
2: have to sell
0: very hard for me. I, I was right. like, oh wait, what? Yeah. And it I was mean, like we're all Ooh, yeah. something kind of sold new. in concept alone, but this is not the f- Unfor- I mean, fortunately for Steve, because he can brag about it, it's not the first time he's brought something that's really made me think and really expand how I look at music. You did it with Godsticks and made me a fan, o- made a fan out of me with them, and you've done it now with Black Violin. I just, Thank I, feel, you. I feel like Stereotypes is one of those albums that I'm sometimes at a loss for words on how to explain why it's innovative because it's so innovative. What I mean by that is, it sounds like a cop-out, is that it's just, it defies explanation in moments sometimes because of what it does.
2: And now our next category, Best Vocals Song Style. I had to go with a favorite of mine, Colin Malloy. I mean, as Steve puts it, the quiver that's there is a magical aspect of his voice. But Mm. for all the quality that's in his solo work, his, his solo vocals, in one particular song, Till the Water is All Long Gone, there's harmonies there that frankly compliment his voice so beautifully it was it was the evolutionary step i kind of wanted in his vocals the next big thing that yes we've gotten stuff like in my favorite of their albums hazards of love sharon comes in and the the back and forth and them. he almost recaptured the Hazards of Love for me in that song. If we had ever just reviewed the, Hazards of Love, I think it would have been five across been, the board, and it would probably gotten this category for sure. It, it might have gotten a few Shara's
1: others. Little cameo. Yeah, it was Warden.
2: it was magical. But the Decemberists. I mean, I love harmonies. I mean, considering how many times I've talked about Steam Powered Giraffe and all the things that they do here, it was. A solo artist I love doing harmonies that were just beautiful, and I had to go with it. Alright, that's really interesting because, of course, I love Colin Malloy,
1: like you said. Colin is just one of my signature musicians, one of my signature vocalists. But it's almost hard for me to pick him out song by song, which is why, for this, I had to go to something else. Um, and it's tough because, really, the vocals I'm about to mention, I also kind of go to for everything. But he has a specific style within what he does, which overwhelmingly is pretty powerful, it's full of force, then all of a sudden sometimes he just recedes and he's much softer. And that is Darren Charles, of Godsticks, specifically in the track All That Remains, off of Emergence. What can I say, but this is sort of the Raised Concerns of Emergence. I mean, Raised Concerns is the track that the tail end of Envisage's Conundrum, uh, their previous album, Win which after all of these prog masterpieces, he just gets really, really soft, and it's this acoustic track. But it's not just any old acoustic track. There's something very unique in the way Godsticks goes about this, where it's acoustic... Combined with his vo- vocals, which are very warm, but they also kind of have this inherent misery to them, also combined with the bass, it's just, it's this it's this entity unto itself, and this track, in All That Remains, it just grows, one layer after the other, the song grows in desperation, or it even seems to have some concern to it, like the concern that you found in Raised Concerns, but it's the fundamentals of it, it's down to Darren Sherrill's voice, it's down to the tone of the acoustic combined with his voice, I, I love it, The even I even like the fact the way the bass works with it, it's more prominent in this song and uh, than it was in other songs on the album because for the most part the bass was kind of whitewashed out and you don't hear it in most songs and then all of a sudden here it's just great. It pops with his vocals. So yeah, once again, God Sticks Works Magic and I'm near tears.
0: My choice this year might seem a little out of left field but not for me because I've always felt she is a powerful singer. Um, and this is, of course, I'm referring to Florence Welsh of uh, Florence and the Machine. The song specifically I'm referring to is Caught. Um, the thing about Florence that I think I really like is the power, the physical power behind her voice. She carries her voice like nobody else. But what's also interesting is I think we've all picked artists who are known for quivering their voices, too, which is very interesting to me. I, I just think the thing that really sells this song is she's always got the emotional emotion behind it, and I get that emotional response from all of Florence the Machine's track, but the way she sings and the way she belts out all of these songs, it adds a raw power Physically that I just don't really get from a lot of other singers especially this year So it was hands down my pick
1: and it's one thing to add I also feel that the power is 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 there within Darren Charles vo- vocals as well Ironically enough considering this is actually one of the lighter tracks But he feels like he's not gonna be able to lose breath at any point point. and the funny thing is thematically You'd think that he would be losing breath considering he always feels like he's at his wits end when he sings these types of tracks so, so it's
0: kind of like an internal power versus uh, an actual yeah, physical power yeah
1: it's strange it's it's it, uh, a smoothness a smokiness to i don't know how you want to put it um let's go to another category here most virtuosic versus uh, most technical song they're kind of the same thing and, yeah. and it has to do with the the distinction between these two things virtuosic is what you'd apply to let's say a solo for instance a solo of godsticks well I want, to, I want to do that. I really want to select Godsticks for, and their solos for this, but it almost seems too uniform, because then even after they do a virtuosic solo, they go back to a very virtuosic bridge or a virtuosic uh, verse and chorus. It, it doesn't really matter with them. Everything they do is just is just the pinnacle of what they do. So, yeah, it had me thinking more about the technical side of things, and technical is not quite the same. Technical is what I'd apply more to or whether it's something that you can apply to Electronica, because it still requires the same mathematical approach, something that is just, it takes a lot of thought at the end of the day. And for that, I had to go back to a, a unique uh, Electronica track, like unique Electronica album, something that I don't think we really discussed that much, it was back in episode 153, we discussed Square Pusher's Damage and Furies. And I can't think of anywhere where it was as its most technical than in track Rake Fire 2. I don't remember the exact track number there, but in general, Squarepusher is described as acid techno. Um, acid should probably say it all, just the concept <laughs> of, you know, being out of your gourd and doing what comes to mind. But it, it doesn't really sum it up the best to me because in many ways, I think that there is... It's not just its not just convulsive. It doesn't just erupt out of the moment. I believe there is thought that goes into this. And Rakefire 2 is blaringly fast. It just it screams at you, and all the while you're just in awe at how he's doing this. Of course he's not playing live, that's why you can't fall it under uh, virtuosic necessarily, but there was a mastermind behind it when he composed it, at his computer, wherever he did it. It's just so immersive, and again, speed, you gotta go with it, because uh, not too many people can conceive of certain things at a certain speed, otherwise they lose track of where they are, which is why I think this song is such a success.
2: I I had to go with God Sticks. I really did. Purely nah. because I there's there's one song, one track from Emergence that really did something different. Yes, they are virtuosic. They are so technically apt in their music, but the final track, lack of scrutiny, it was it was a callback to Between the Buried and Me, which is a five-star across the board with us. It's it's got horn instrumentation. It's got da- just it's got a drawn out instrumental intro that is gorgeous. It's got the most unique aspects of Godsticks for that album. And it's a 7-minute song that I can just anticipate every moment as it comes leading up to that beautiful solo around the 5-minute mark. Mm-hmm. But I can also enjoy counting the seconds. I can enjoy the wait to something that is just great. The virtuosity of that solo is not marred by the technical aspects that we're getting beforehand. It is the best of both worlds for me.
1: I'm glad you picked out God sticks because someone had to pick God sticks well, I, I, I just
2: I just couldn't decide between I admit, their tracks. I did almost go with Stephen Wilson's Ancestral from Hank Cannata Rays because it's 14 minutes of pure joy. And that's it.
1: interesting because that's something but I had kind of forgotten.
2: That song, while being a great long burn of a song, it builds over and over again, and it's just always, like, tearing itself down, reimagining it. It doesn't seem to have the same technical aspect. It's just hmm. a, a, a great 14-minute solo in many ways. I will say it's technical uh,
1: with c- comparison
0: to the album itself. It, it kind oh, yeah. of erupts out of nowhere. Well, 14 minutes will erupt out of nowhere in any album. True. My pick for this category was kind of obvious to me, and it's a band that I've mentioned quite a few times already. And it is Black Violin and their song Shaker, which is of course a take on Shaker's yeah. song. And this one for me was kind of an obvious pick, because as we talked about earlier, the reason they're my most innovative, because they took stuff that existed and made it their own and made it better. And this song, Shaker's song, takes something old that existed that was great and made it better. And and it's just I mean, just alone, the violin, talent, the, the instrumentation, the, just the instrumentation of the entire track is just blows me away. And the way it kind of re- reinvents itself halfway through or so, it just it, 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 there was no other choice but this track for me. I think that's actually a great choice because of also the fact that like
1: I said before, I think this whole category is about how much thought you put into something. and even though it might go against the grain, you'd think, well, that's a cover right? Covers, well, how much thought could they take? They had the material, had them on a silver platter but it wasn't merely a cover. They reinvented the, the material. It was I think, I believe, the second phrase there. They completely changed the, they changed the scale, they changed the key. Everything was was just reworked into their own thing. So all of a sudden you take something that's, well, not classical in this case, but a shaker melody, and then they bring it into their, their sort of hip-hop stylings. It just, it, 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 it was I believe a technical thing to do to rework that song
0: because I don't think anyone else would have thought of it from here we'll move on to our next album wide category which is of course best album theme and for me this one was kind of obvious i guess i know steve steve in the past when we've talked about theme like for example the one that stands out is future islands um singles that one was the obvious strong theme because it was about romance and impact and so on and so forth and this one also could be conceived as an obvious kind of theme, but bear with me. So, of course, it's Face by 21 Pilots. And the reason I picked this is not only is because of an emotional theme, but that emotional theme is very personal and deep. You know, the idea of Blurry Face embodying kind of all of your fear and self-doubt, mm. but also on a metal level, the album reflecting self-doubt and referring to other songs on the album about being samey or 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 boring or not good enough referring to himself as a rapper who couldn't be a rapper because he's too emotional and he's too caring and it's just all of that stuff combined made the theme of the whole self-doubt album really apparent and really strong because you can do a lot with it but that's not all, and I did pick this same album for many of the same reasons.
2: The <laughs> you guys in this album. The insecurities present in the album are not just applicable to the musicians. They are something that, as a listener, still have a widespread audience. You can dive into it. You can understand where he's coming from and apply it to your own situations. It's, it's not just the theme of being self-conscious about the music he's making – It's the idea that everybody has these insecurities, everybody has a blurry face, that aspect of their personality where they throw all their junk into it, where they put all of their fears and woes and put it and create this persona. It is explained in this album, both from that personal point of view, from that musician's point of view, but also from the point of view of being a person, being a member of this society we have. And it's beautiful to be able to really get both those meta levels. Both the the very, very yes, this is obviously this is obviously twenty one pilots, but it's mm-hmm. also obviously everyone.
1: Well this is interesting. Um I went in a very different direction with uh with album theme. And it kinda links into our next category here because all right, theme. You went for a very emotional theme with blurry face. Well, another very emotional theme is let's say Stephen Wilson and the whole thing I mentioned before about the the woman who died. Uh, these things, in many ways, sometimes you have to reach into yourself, and sometimes they're handed to you on a silver platter. Like in that case, I, I the concept of what you're going to base your music around is very important. But there really are no limits to to what you can base your music around. It could just be the, a very, very loose metaphysical concept. And I happen to love what Kang Ding Ray did on Solon's arc back in episode 133. And this may seem a little self-aggrandizing, but that was probably one of my favorite podcasts, one of my favorite episodes of what we did. And it had to do with how we approached this particular work, because it was such a difficult concept, all things considered, despite the fact that actually it was almost more of a reduced concept, he took the concept of what an arc is on an album and, and the flow from beginning to end, and he reduced it to what we generally use the word arc for, a projectile. Something being thrown from one starting place to the ending place. He compared it, I remember the, the, uh, the liner notes for that album were like something out of a... a, a I think John called it a metro modern art piece. I absolutely loved the, that write-up. Uh, the, the mastermind behind this was David Letelier. He's also an artist. He's a visual artist. He builds things. He has inventions uh, based off of sound. It's, it's all concept with him, very loose concepts. And it, we don't tackle, I think, high art too much and in this case that's a little bit of a pun because of the concept of going high and get that i i think i may have reused that in my uh, write-up for that album yeah, but, but nevertheless weird. nevertheless <laughs> i believe this is probably the theme of the year because it's it's not your classic approach to the album frankly love personal troubles these things are going to make make they're, they're going to reappear in some form or another probably till the end of time but he chose to completely ditch all that and make his music around the concept of what an ARC is. Now, I'm going to use that as a segue into the next category, because I just described my favorite theme, and interestingly enough, my favorite theme was about an ARC. And thats I'd be interested to know what your favorite <coughs> ARC is. Yes. Is it based on a theme? <laughs> Our next category, <laughs> Best Album ARC of the Year, um, does not go to that album. Okay. <laughs> Which is interesting, yes, because... Uh, here's the thing. Best actual arc, not best. Best
2: album actual arc. arc.
1: Because yes, I didn't actually say what my real feelings are on that album. I thought it's a great concept. I was just in love with, with that, that whole approach to an album. And I love the fact that we were able to tackle it on the level that I believe he would have liked us to tackle it. In fact, I, I, I seem to recall he uh, gave us a little shout out because he found out our podcast um, and said we got all deep with it and everything, which is nice. And I don't believe that's something we could have done earlier in our podcasting career. But uh, album arc-wise, that album was okay. No, it, it was good. It was good. But it, we did have a lot of that issue of a lot of electronical work where we were like, eh, it's falling under sameness issues. He tried to divvy it up into three separate acts. But as a whole, I didn't feel like there was as much of a palpable musical arc. And that's really what this category brings me to. Musical arc is something that's very hard to define. It's easier to define when you have a theme, which is why this is a very interesting pair of, of categories. Theme and arc normally come from lyrics, or at least some kind of concept, because stories have arcs. The the, the story, the beginning to end, chapter one, chapter whatever. But how are you gonna say that if there's no lyrics? Music does have a way of delivering you this, though. Even if it's just in the, 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 the softness in which they begin, the sort of a creepy undertone before they finally, you know, uh, bring you the war and symbolize that, purely through just instruments getting roused. Well, something was done to me on Prefuse 73's Rivington Now Rio. Yes, I'm repeating myself here, because they this wasn't instrumental, and I may have neglected to say that before. I said it was electronica, but there's no lyrics, there's no nothing. All you have to go on is just the electronica. And mostly when I'm mentioning electronica, I'm mentioning something like, you know, an interesting moment, like what I mentioned on, on Apex Twin. I'm mentioning intriguing little things, innovative concepts. But i'm not normally talking about a musical emotional arc and in this case i believe that as i mentioned it when i called it the most innovative album because they managed to bring the music together with the electronica they made it interesting and also made me in tears for the uh, throughout the duration i just feel that they achieved something here from beginning to end which not many albums this year have achieved it's something i've had a, a, a big issue with frankly uh in albums this year i just I'm, I'm too picky with, like, saying there's a hole in the beginning, there's a hole in the end, there's a hole in the middle. Prefuse 73 achieved it somehow.
0: For me, ARC was a thing that I often struggle to find because of lack of consistency, especially in this year's albums that we picked. A lot of them were kind of all over the place. Some ARCs were stronger than others, but for me here, the one band that gave me consistency because... That's what this band does is consistently being awesome is uh, God Sticks and of course their album Emergence I just felt that here the arc is really strong in Emergence because there's a consistent through line of heavy rock this time around there's less in, uh, grandiose variety there's still variety but it still stays a pretty hard line of heavy rock and that arc that the heavy rock makes I really kind of pulls me through this record it's very brash it's very abrupt it, it's very intricate and, and I felt that it just had a very strong arc as a result of it. You know, of course, the final track, it slows down a little bit still, and you, he does that. You know, Darren Charles is a great singer, hands down. Everybody knows that. But the instrumentation on this album too should not be overlooked and I think that the instrumental arc of this heavy rock throughout the record really got to me and it's why my it's my favorite arc and of the as, year. And as
1: desperately as I wanted to, you know, choose it, God sticks for every category, <laughs> frankly. I don't know, arc was, a, was an area where I actually felt it did suffer um, and that maybe they were a little bit too powerful in the beginning but actually by being too powerful it had one of the greatest beginnings of an album that I don't think the end uh, could have quite live up, lived up to me by any stretch um, but that's just the line that you
2: walk for me this was probably my most difficult choice because I really didn't know where I wanted to go with explaining an arc we, as we said it's it's a front to be, middle to end it's a solid flow and here my choice was a solid flow backwards. <laughs> ben Folds. I like the idea of what he did here. Even though it's eight chamber pop songs into a concerto, in a lot of ways, the album itself flows from modern chamber pop, modern, you know, old school concert music, but the newest of the old school concert music, the stuff that's acceptable. And accessible on the radio, the stuff that you hear in pop music, but eventually he devolves it back to a true concerto. It does seem to just be taking step backs year-wise in overall form. I wouldn't say devolve.
1: Go I'd say that's an evolution. The fact exactly. you start out with chamber pop and it's like, well, here's you know, here's in- the beginning. individual here's elements safety. of the instruments that you're now going to hear and mass you know over the course of this the journey. national symphony orchestra that's a good it's a good selection because after all I don't think that's very typically done no normally, yeah. normally people are either in one environment or another I'm gonna write a concerto and that's gonna be the album or although actually concerto since they're usually around 20 minutes it would probably be a pretty short <coughs> album it would be more length of an EP so it actually is pretty logical To say, all right, I'm still going to exist in the classical environment and use a chamber pop ensemble, well, a chamber ensemble, and And then build up into a
2: concerto, a a legit concerto, concerto, a modern concerto, but something that's still, the whole album is enjoyable, but it prepares you for something that is from centuries past, that is from before the electronification of music, before the energy hit instruments. And it is so artfully done for me that it's just, I feel the flow sort of going back in time, but
0: enjoying that sort of flow back in time. From here we go to best opening of an album. And I'll start us off because mine is related. Um, If you haven't guessed at this point, it's because it has to do with Ben Folds. My best opening of an album is Capable of Anything by Ben Folds. Mostly because this song vomits positivity And as far as starting an album, it starts on such an up and high note. It's catchy, it's pretty, it's positive, it's engaging. You know, it's pretty much everything we want from Ben Folds plus chamber pop. So it's just, it made me happy and excited to hear this album. It it started me off on such a high note that more or less carried through through the whole record. Um, But I felt like a lot of albums this year, they all started well but they didn't start like a punch to the face. And this was a punch to the face of positivity. It just got me energized, it got me psyched, and I think it was a really strong way to start a record. So that's mine.
1: Um, All right, here's the thing. With uh, (laughs) best opening of an album, I kind of prefaced this before, although there were some close contenders, but I prefaced this just in the last category. Obviously, if you're talking about an album arc, um, then your best arc will be something where the, the opening... Is just as strong as the end, I guess. And I guess the whole concept of this category is we're really just gonna focus on the opening. Um, and like I said, I had a lot of issues like that this year, where either the opening is better than the ending, or the ending is better than the opening. Whatever. Well, there was I was pretty apparent with Godsticks for me. Godsticks emergence first track below the belt. You just said the words "punch in the face." Well, um, below a the punch belt. below the belt is kind of worse, yeah. and it <laughs> delivers exactly as titled. Yeah, just the concept of beginning an album with a song called "Below the Elp," below the belt. First line: "Can't stand the pain amidst this bobbing and uh, weaving guitar line." I may have had problems with the album later on, but as of this song, a 6-minute masterpiece, it keeps on ramping up that pain. It has this amazing drum solo go into an amazing guitar solo later on. It is such a bold intro. It's the best possible beginning to an album uh, after their last album, which was Uh, convergence, a very sort of soft, you know, ambient intro. This is the best possible beginning that I could expect to a follow-up album because it allows them not to repeat themselves. Um, Instead, they just kind of chose something from their Border Stomp trilogy, and they said, we're gonna start with that. That's the old joke, a comedian. I think I'll start with that next time. It's pretty it's pretty good it really really works it it introduced it introduced everything i want from god sticks within that 6 minute time frame a, st- a whole story just so succinct that it may have inevitably contributed to why the album wasn't as a whole as as perfect to me when i considered the later portion cuz like i said i just couldn't quite live up it's a problem with story arcs you create moments and then that affects you know later moments in the process so what are you gonna do how do you reconcile that I don't know I just think it's an awesome start and by the way I said I had close contenders well the close contender was Death with Dignity off of Carrie and Lowell. but again just for the diversity of this uh, of this experience in the year in review I think I pretty much already talked up to, to, to death uh, poor word choice there why I loved um, Death with Dignity and why that was a pretty amazing start to the record also but um. Uh, as emotional as it gets, you just can't compute the six-minute prog masterpiece. Um,
2: John? <laughs> I... okay, well, it was my most enjoyable album this year, Strangers to Ourselves by Modest Mouse. The, it It starts with a title track, first off, something we like to comment on when it happens, but for Strangers to Ourselves... It's a slow groove where the band just feels like it's warming up. You're getting strings coming in. You're getting a little bit of the horn play you come to expect. But when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of it, it's a delve into the psyche of what this album's going to be. It's a, it's it's just looking and staring at the crazy abyss that they're going to go into. And it sets up the whole album for me perfectly. It's It, it sets up the most Modest Mouse of Modest Mouse albums yet. And... To be able to do that from the first few bars of a track is to is perfection for a band like Modest Mouse. For them to get across their idea right away is just perfect. It's I will agree that had an
1: amazing
0: opening and it was a front-heavy album to me. And I would say that what defines that being a strong opening is the minute you mentioned the track, I started hearing the strings. Yeah. Head. Like those strings really did stand it's, out and had an impact. It's named the correct thing. Yeah. Like it
2: has the perfect title yeah. in many ways. Yeah. From here, we go to closing of an album, the final de- little point that they put at the end of the, the paragraph that they write us, the story that they write us. And for me, it's kind of the exact opposite of what an ending should be because the Decemberists end their album with a beginning song and yeah. they end big. They, they, they just go cacophony. All over the place with this. It's a build up, build up, build up. And for the Decemberists, it's a great way to sort of like let out all the steam and emotion that was building on the album. It does a great job of just wrapping everything up and saying, all right, we're done. And that's what I needed. I'm glad the
1: Decemberists made it on your list. I I, I wasn't able to find a place for them,
0: sadly. Yeah, I didn't actually, I don't (coughs) know that I have them much on my list, if at all, either, which is a bummer because I did really like that record. Um,. My best closing of an album takes a more simpler approach. For me, the delightfully retro sound of the song Glean from the album Glean by They Might Be Giants. Hmm. This kind of almost jukeboxy kind of tinkery outro track really kind of caught me because the album as a whole was so powerful and, and it was They Might Be Giants. I mean, We talk them to death. I love them. And I will review every one of their albums forever and ever because I love them. That said, the way they chose to end this record was just a nice little ditty. It felt delightfully retro, but through this weird filter that just made it interesting enough to be the perfect exclamation point with a question mark after it at the end of the album. So it seemed like the obvious choice for me for best closing.
1: Um, I'm going to be a little little depressed on this one. Go for it. And it is another slight... Repeat, uh, based on what I chose as, uh, my favorite lyrics. And this is actually the product of, uh, I think an evolution on our part, or at least on my part, considering that when we discussed this album, Hand Cannot Erase by Steven Wilson, uh, we were actually kind of down on the actual last track, Ascendant Here On, um, which follows the track that I discussed when I said best lyrics, uh, Happy Returns. Um, Happy Returns, I'm, I'm not gonna repeat myself here. It's about, The Woman Who Died, Joyce Joyce Carol Vincent. And I remember us thinking at the time that the following track, The Real End, which is just an instrumental, only 1 minute 54 seconds, Ascendant Here On, was kind of driving the point home a little bit too much. I don't agree with that anymore. I think that that, that's the only way you could have ended this album. Especially when you do have the theme handed to you on a silver platter. The girl's dead. She's dead. Or at least rather not Joyce Carol Vincent, but the character that Steven Wilson created for the sake of this album. And after the lyrics that I recited earlier on about how she's making plans for the future, I don't think you could just end it there. You could. You could have, but I think you need a little bit of musical mulling. Just a couple seconds just to say, all right, I think you you get the implication. I think you know what happened. You may have gotten it in Happy Returns, but Ascendant here on, I think, is really what does drive that point home. So it's not so much this particular track but rather the pairing of the two. Mm. I think the combination of them are what really makes this the closing album of the year because it's just it's written in the theme that it's as much of an ending as endings
0: get. I mean, I'll admit that uh, Steve Wilson. The more that you talk about it, the more that I feel like I didn't give it a fair shake. I mean, I know I didn't. I did recognize the the um, virtuosity that was there and the, what the album was trying to purvey, but I feel like my mind and remembering how it sounds is too vague, and I need to go back and oh, refresh Oh, that was it. a distinct problem. I still think though that as far as arc arc could
1: go it was probably at least a close second for um for the arc of the year but again how much could you really give it because the theme is written it's a story it's a story that he essentially just had to pull from the news yeah i'm not diminishing his work but it, it still takes a lot of talent in order to do that and it takes a lot of insight and the lyrics themselves i think are what really made that
0: album special to me from here we go to our last in the general prize category and that is the best transition either song to song or moment-to-moment. Mine is a moment-to-moment transition, a change from last year, which was a song-to-song transition. And that transition that I'm talking about is the transition in Goner by 21 Pilots. Jeez. It's it's a specific... (laughs) This album. It's a specific transition within the song that really made an impact on me. It's where the piano notes quickly go from bright to dark over one phrase of whispered vocals. It's around about two minutes and 41 seconds, which sets the tone for the remainder of the song. It literally goes from this could be end on a positive note and be uplifting to the deep darkness that dwells within us all. And that exact moment where the piano notes quickly change really drive that emotional point home and i think it's one of the most interesting and best transitions of the year because of how it does that quick flip it's not a transition over moments or over an entire song it's literally within seconds it flips and it's dynamic and it's why it's my best transition
1: i don't know if i (laughs) underconsidered this album or if you're over considering it i don't know but
0: definitely you under making a lot of
2: appearances with you guys for me my favorite transition was actually twice in the same song. I two very different transitions, but they both work so well in Music Jail on the album Glean. Nice. Yeah. First was silence and right back into it. Where you going, fella? But immediately after that, that little verse, yep. there's the second one where it's, don't turn away. Why don't you say? And it goes and gets all nice the, and the, happy the, go the lucky. And, yes, yeah, everything woodwinds. starts taking off. Two amazing moments in this song within 30 seconds of one another. Very different moments, but both were very impactful and made Music Jail either the biggest oddball. And you can't follow along, but if you can't, well, too bad. It is amazing. And I have to admit, I didn't get it the first time. I didn't quite get it the first time. Even the second time. But once I started really feeling the flow of this song, it was, it was a pair of periods in a run-on sentence that just worked.
1: I will tell you this right now that I don't think They Might Be Giants is the kind of thing where I'm like, hmm, I didn't get it the first time. It gets me the first, they're very on the nose, it just smacks you in the face, and then it continues to smack you in the face on all successive listens. It's 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 straightforward, and it's even straightforward in the title. Of course, I'm right there with you. Music Jail Part 1 and 2. It's called Part 1 and 2, and our whole category here is Best Transition, Song to Song, or Movement to Movement. We expect them to be two separate entities, and yes, we're cheating a little bit here, because of course, if it's written in the title, then you know kind of to look in that moment, but in only the way that They Might Be Giants can do it. That second that second uh, uh, event in particular, because I didn't notice the first one as much, although the first one was very, very stark, but the second one, I believe, is the technical beginning yes. of Music Jail Part 2, and uh, just best woodwind moment of the year. Because we don't get that a lot. I mean, no, like, seriously, woodwinds are underused in, in a lot of in a lot of fields. Fair and enough. it had this whole Dixieland thing going. It was just, yeah, the pace kicks up a little bit. It's a distinct tempo change there, and uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I remember it, it uh, was probably the "Darlings of Lumberland" moment of
0: of this year. That's that's totally a fair point, and I will say yeah. that it was in the running for best yeah. moment for me. But in that case, the transition was just the previous song into transition, "Darlings of Lumberland." Yeah, yeah. Um, it was definitely up there for me, but but I just I guess maybe I just I focused so hard in on Twenty One Pilots, but but that's definitely a great moment that I do agree with. And now that we got all the good out of the way, time to work on the chaff.
2: Here are our booby prizes. and some positivity within the chaff. Well, chaff can be used for quality things, such as not getting blown up by a missile. It has a (laughs) one-time use. And for our first of the booby prizes, most ubiquitous, a.k.a. the one that is most like everything else. And for me, we talked about how much this album sounds like the pared-down core of music it's the bones it's the most basic of bones in my analogy on a wrap-up it had no meat on it it was something that everything else can get thrown on top of and i'm speaking of beirut's no 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 (sighs) Uh it was so the initial stencil of a building a beautiful building or a terrible building we don't know because there's no actual art to go along with this
1: i want it known that when I said earlier that, well, there was a reason I chose Prefuse 73 and I said it was my, well, th- the album that I brought that did not dis- disappoint me, I was certainly thinking of Beirut's No 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 in mind. It was fairly recent, episode 169, brought it on, had talked them up to death, and, well, as of No No No, they decided to do the same thing that I described in Hesitant Aliens, uh, of oh, Gerard Way's Hesitant Alien, and that was, well... Tear it down. Make it simple. Just strip it down, because that's what people want to hear. And I'm not going to lie, that is what a significant group wants to hear. It's so what a significant populace hears. I have this conversation all the time. Um, we had a big discussion about that in episode 157 with Nelson Lugo, on uh, about how Benjamin Booker was kind of also the same concept. And I was a little critical of it for that. But I, I don't know. At the end of the day, there was still one little thing that Beirut had going for it, and that was it tried to do what... Twenty One Pilots did and you guys may not have seen that as much, but remember those two albums were back-to-back And I saw it immediately. I saw it immediately. It was just not as on the nose so That's why I really couldn't just give it the most ubiquitous. It, was, it had a concept it was trying to do something for me I had to go to something more obvious Walk off the earth sing it all away Look, we did Revo, the EP Revo, way back in episode 36. And it was a bit of a fail on our part because we don't do EPs. And we actually tried to review that as if it was an album. So we thought it was fair to do it on an album scale. But it was just... Maybe it was that hype. It was part of it being the hype. And then part of it was just the fact that I had lost all uniqueness that I ever attributed to that band. By the time we actually reached 155 here, more than 100 episodes in the making, we're gonna do the album of Walk Off The Earth. I just got... An album of every piece of pop that I'm hearing today, a piece of pop that I could hear on the radio, any channel. It is the definition of ubiquitous, even despite the moments that were a little bit catchy, it still falls under ubiquitous. It is one of the herd.
0: And see, I couldn't consider it ubiquitous because there were saving grace moments for me that made it stand out at least a little bit. I don't remember them. Well, (laughs) I do because I still listen to that record, but for me, there was only one obvious choice for most ubiquitous because we talked about how this ca- this character, this band, has fallen into ubiquity because he just doesn't hold the same fear or shock value over the general public mm. as he used to. And that is the album The Pale Emperor by Marilyn Manson. Okay. This album defines yeah, a ubiquity. Marilyn Manson... I was a fan of Marilyn Manson. I loved his older stuff. He stood out. He was, he was powerful. He at least made heavy rock that was enjoyable. This album sounded like everything he'd ever done before and everything else that we've heard in the genre. It reminded me of the Saliva album that won Ubiquity last year. It reminds me of all the general rock That's out today. It's just there was nothing defining about it. Even Marilyn Manson's signature voice, he didn't stand out
1: as much as he used to. I I would have said, though, that that's probably the only reason I didn't choose that album, because uh, if I were to hear it, I'd still say, that's Marilyn Manson. Even so it's it's still a signature voice. you yeah. got to call it a signature voice. But
0: I will tell you that I wouldn't have recognized the Walk Off the Earth track as Walk Off the Earth. And see, I would have because I'm very familiar with both vocalists and I know what they sound like. So that's just familiarity at that point, okay. I think. I feel like we're having who's prettier as an <laughs> argument. From here. Actually, my close tie was uh, best Coast. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, Rachel. Um, from here we go to our lighter side of the Booby Prize's Best Attempt. This is an album that Almost got there like we we almost liked it if I if I may go first on this
1: category Because I want to stress that this category for me is not really a booby prize Yeah, same here it reflects something that perhaps did everything right, but just didn't do it for me (laughs) Ben so there really 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 this album. I want this clear it wasn't overhyped It wasn't too big for its britches. It's none of these buzzwords This album was, by all standards, the most ambitious album of the year. Y Music. Ben Folds got the Y Music Ensemble, like I said, a full chamber ensemble, and I love the Y Music Ensemble. They're my favorite chamber ensemble. I fell in love with their musicianship years ago. I think, you know, because of the fact they offer classical prowess to the pop scene, they are actually on the cutting edge. They're changing the face of music as we know it. And then the Nashville Symphony Orchestra, he got an orchestra. He wrote a concerto for that orchestra. And he performed at the center of that concerto. It's, it's a deeply con- complex concerto. It has character in it. It has his quirkiness. He outdid himself for this venture. The album, I think, really reflects the work that went into it. But, for whatever reason, something about this album did not get to me. When you consider all of that, I, I-, I can't explain it. I didn't even really come all that close to feeling anything from this album. To me, it failed on that mysterious, can't-place-it, oddball level of music that's just somewhere off in the peripheral. It's in the, it's in the ether, and it either works for you or it doesn't. That's, that's what this album got to me, and that's why it's the most, I think, the most self-apparent attempt of the year that we've ever had, to me.
2: My best attempt at making a masterpiece is actually very well, intrinsically connected to the most derailed and the most saved album Flying Lotus, You're Dead. That album was on the cusp of being either brilliant or madness at the same time. He was balancing dozens of plates it seemed like, and things were falling, but he was catching them. It wasn't quite doing it for me because it was just so much to try to, you know, take in when listening to You're Dead. But, every time he dropped a plate, like I said, he kept picking it back up. And that's why it's still the most derailed songs. I can't pick one. Most derailed album. It doesn't know where it's going at any given point. But, when you look at, this album and the previous one we did, which I think I also gave Best Attempt to previously, it was saved over and over and over again as he went into different parts of each song, into different little sound bites and everything like that, so it was, it was a cluster F. It really ended up being a cluster F of music, but it was still had cohesion involved with it, so that's where I stand on my both Best Attempt and Most Derailed
0: best attempt for me is something that almost broke through the barrier of ubiquity or sameness or okayness. It's not necessarily something that was really good but didn't quite make it. It's Usually I still stick within the even keel. And so for me it was Coma Ecliptic by Between the Buried and Me. This album there was the formula for it to be engaging and really good. And I liked the singer. I thought he was a good vocalist. I enjoyed some of the music, but there were just too many points where he screamed too much or the music was too disjointed that it didn't really get where it could have gone. I feel like if there were these moments that were disjointed to me, were more focused and more concise or more impressive, it could have been a four album or a five album because it could have reached a different place, but because it kind of fell back into sameness, habits, or things that were just downright not pleasant to listen to, it was an attempt at, that I appreciated moments, but overall, feh.
1: Feh. That's, that's a new one. All right, from there we go to most disappointing. And ooh, this ooh is... can I go first? No. Damn am I, I, I want to get this out of the way quick like a band-aid. This is, of course, from personal experience. Disappointing implies that you had high hopes for it, and I think I already made this a- apparent in several instances on this podcast so far. There were only two albums this could have been for me because I held them so closely. Um, a close contender was actually the Decemberists, but there was too much ownership of the material there. I know that that would have been a case of me holding them to ridiculously high standards, personal standards. But for Beirut, I only expected Beirut. And I, I didn't get Beirut. I got, again, pared down... Diminished. I, it just uh, you got stripped one down, d- pared down. Again, it's lazy, L- lazy. I even despite the little, little, little perk that I gave them, the fact that he was actually making a nod to his own art. His own art was was in the middle of of failing, and he felt it. It just I just could not give it to him. It was the most
0: disappointing of the year, mainly because I didn't get my brass. I don't <laughs> want a brass for me. It will be no surprise to anybody based on how much Steve talked them up and how much I had known of the previous worked because of how much Steve has talked about it. Beirut? I, too, Beirut? <laughs> was dis- most disappointed this year, not by a band that I personally wanted to see that I loved, but that I personally intrinsically thought I'd love because of Steve's praise, and that is Beirut's No 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 right. as well. I <laughs> no just- reason for me to go first, then. <laughs> I-, I just... It- it- you know, I, I expected a lot. I expected the world from them. You know, I wasn't disappointed with Decembers because I like their later stuff. And even though Steve has issues with their later stuff compared to their earlier stuff, I'm with Steve. I still really appreciated the new record and I liked it and there was good there. But I just was completely disinterested in Beirut's new record. And it was a bummer because their older stuff is really fantastic. And yeah. I was just so crushed by how fat fe- this album was because it's not even like this was a
1: band that was on a slow decline where i like expected something (laughs) like tv on the radio i was genuinely concerned and i had already seen the decline as i saw it at least because they got too happy and i wanted miserable (laughs) so in decline i mean they were getting too happy but beirut uh, they were as far as i was concerned last i checked top of their game i don't get it
2: i'm the exact flip as far as ubiquitous and disappointing go with with Steve because I chose Walk Off The Earth
1: because I Uh, really enjoy
2: their YouTube videos before they had money and an actual production facility and everything like that because it seemed like they were pure back then and now they didn't do anything with this new album period like it's just music that matches up with what I
1: said before, also when I said it was about hundred episodes in the making for us doing their album. I guess I just, you,
2: I, you in particular were. I were enjoyed them. You got to remember that hype. I got them and Steam Powered Giraffe within hours of one another, and they're intrinsically locked together. As oh, that was a joyous day, and now I have what I
0: have. I've it all the way, which is like oh, that is noise. From here we move on to most derailed song, which will be quickly followed by most derailed album. Um, mine are both connected. I don't know if everyone else can speak to that, but my derailed song... You can lump them if you want. I'm going to lump them. So my most <laughs> derailed album I'll attack first because the song is on it is American Beauty, American Psycho by Fallout Boy. I just felt the inconsistencies throughout the album. There were so many inconsistencies, the inconsistencies almost felt consistent. <laughs> I just... <laughs> well, then it's the most saved album because no. it
2: did what it was supposed to there do, which is be bad.
0: <laughs> Meh. But the most derailed song on that album, which will come to no surprise to anyone who listened or has heard this song, was Uma Thurman by Fallout Boy. This, I'm copying you. <laughs> this song, for no reason whatsoever, features one of my favorite old school TV themes, the Munsters theme, which is surf rock and awesome, is in this song that the minute the surf rock theme ends becomes a high energy techno dance song. The lyrics make no sense. The music, like I said, is inconsistent, changing from surf rock to dance to straight up pop to whatever that horrible amalgamation of terrible is. It just didn't make any sense. Then you have the full album itself where Centuries was really catchy, Fourth of July was really catchy, then Uma Thurman happened and barfed all over itself. It was just, I couldn't. The two of them together make for the most derailed experience of my 2015. Derailed experience, I like that. That sounds, like,
1: that sounds like the worst theme park ever. <laughs> the derailed <Old> experience. experience. <laughs> all, the rollers, all the roller coasters are broken and we expect them to be. All right, Uma Thurman, I'm just going to flat out copy you. Obviously, Uma Thurman is my most derailed song because of that whole Monsters theme thing. Yes, the Monsters theme, I loved it too. And uh, you, me, we're not the only people to experience this. I have two separate friends who also had the experience where they loved the Monsters theme. And they did not share... Uh, Fallout boys comedy in mm-hmm. reworking it and somehow connecting it with uh... actress Uma Thurman who's a great actress but but what yeah, like what's exactly. the sa- i don't know and they tried to t- make it catchy and endearing i did not find it to be catchy and endearing at least sensory somehow managed to get it into my head i, I don't want this to be in my head and even if it is it still doesn't take it off the list of most derailed song it's a monster of a song in fact it's the only thing it shares with the
2: monsters uh since i've already done my most derailed because it was also my most saved because it was flying lotus i'll just move on to worst song which so happened to be uma thurman okay um which so happened to be for worst album fallout boy it's just yeah no there's just no arguing this sort of stuff in fact i heard recently that there was a remix version of it that came out yeah that needs to
1: be remixed of course yeah
2: sure um I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they just took the CD, threw it in a blender, and poured it into a CD case, melted it down, and created another CD, and it probably all is right, better.
1: Well, as you are all duplicates on that, then I'm the oddball out <coughs> still having a separate derailed album. And John, you're not going to like this one. Coma Ecliptic between the Buried and Me. I'm okay with that. Okay, alright. Yeah, yeah. Alright, because you really liked that. I really liked that And I, I, really I liked, liked what album. they did, I liked where they went, and, and, well, excuse me, not where they went, but what they did in the beginning. But Derailed is the idea that, yes, there's a hole at the end, and the hole is very much at the end of that album. They started off with almost the same ambitiousness, um, and... And theme cohesion, as Stephen Wilson had. And, to boot, they had even a little one-up because they created the theme, the concept of the person who's in a coma and journeying through their past lives. I, I, I love that. All right, great. Tell me more about this story. The first few tracks really were on the money. I saw the proggy. I mean, they were all clunky at times. They weren't quite as fluid, but they really delivered. They were extremely virtuosic. And then toward the end... It's this, they, they lost that somewhere and not only was I thrown for a loop with the music itself I felt like the music had de and kind of became noise rock which is something I really don't want to see it's the I, it, it is the concept to me of someone who lost their musical direction, but further than that. They also decided. Oh now's the time for 10-minute tracks <laughs> And that 10-minute track was was uh, it was it was rough but I am going to segue into Saved Song, it is the same 10-minute track. <laughs> I know this is weird. I know this is weird because in the, in, in, as a whole, that album was derailed for the most part, right? The whole end part was generally going downhill, and that 10-minute track really started off bad. But then, I was focused. I was focused, and I saw them start to turn it around there. And at the end of that 10-minute track, uh, which, by the way, is called Memory Palace, They brought it back at some point, and they found some more beauty to re-infuse into the album. You gotta be paying attention, though, because here's the thing. In this weird, oddball scenario of an album that starts to go downhill, then introduces a ten-minute track, and you're like, what the hell, this can never be a good thing, and certainly by seven minutes through it, you're not going to be in the mood to expect anything better. I did, however, see that. I was focused enough, and I was immersed enough, I tried to do that for this podcast in order to see the good there and then the rest of the album failed to deliver yet again. So it is a very strange case between The Buried and me, Um, Comet Ecliptic. I still think it's worth a shot for most people, but
0: um, you may have to have an ear for this. I don't know. Your mileage may vary. There you go. So my Saved Song and Saved Album are related. I'll breeze over them quickly because no one will agree with me, but I actually still listen to Sing It All Away by Walk Off The Earth, which is my Saved Album. If it didn't have as many many catchy songs as it did that I liked, like my saved song, which was Boomerang, which we all agreed was a good song, female vocalist really delivered. It was very catchy. If it were not for songs like that and Sing It All Away itself and and a few others, um, it would I would have tanked this album. You know, I gave it a three because these catchy songs really hooked me, and I still listen to the record. But but if they weren't there, I would have absolutely tanked it as a one point five for sure. I'm feeling the pain of the booby prizes already. I think yeah. our hearts are leaving us, but we will
1: Truck On. Um although have you done your save song then? Yeah, that was it
2: was Flying Lotus. Pick oh, Flying yeah, Lotus. The so whole I've, thing A whole thing's I, a I saved can, song? The whole thing can't really be broken up into bits for me because of how just discorded everything is on that album. How different everything is. You, he could have just made one solid track out of the entire piece. And it would have probably had the same ups and downs and everything, I wouldn't mind. It wouldn't have been any different. There's no real difference in the ideas that are being presented here. There's just different ideas. I'm gonna
1: give it this much credit. I, I wish I had really gone back to Flying Lotus's You're Dead a no, oh, little bit more. No, I mm-hmm. I liked You're Dead. I really liked it. I thought it was uh, head over heels better than um, their previous album. Yeah, but I admit that when it comes to theme and arc, that's not exactly what you're, what you're looking at. I think I should have considered it more for moments because they were chock full of moments. And since yours were clumped together and I'm the oddball out, I'll finish this off by saying my saved album is actually a separate thing. It was a somewhat more recent album nothing more by nothing more um, this went from a generic hard rock band which I was still finding a lot of good things in uh, for uh, throughout the beginning by the way this is courtesy of Jessica Ferraro um, a friend of mine down in Texas and I really was enjoying this in general but I was ready to kind of put it in more of our average territory it was like a it was like a written, Three something maybe even early three something up to a point, but this was a big album This was a giant album 17 tracks, which is not something I really expect from a lot of hard rock I mean hard rock. All right, you're looking at 10 11 12 tracks I usually don't see anything out of the ordinary here But this album continued into some pretty heavy prog later on it got it got really moody in God went north and then finally pulling from the uh, Alan Watts quotes really like taking on a whole new level here they started to get uh, existential it is it it felt like this album was discovering its own identity as it went along whereas it was just like yeah we're just making music in the beginning and then all of a sudden this what they were trying to impart wisdom to me in tracks 14 15 16 17 I thought that was a very strange it almost felt like like they had kind of arranged this album in in a in an oddball fashion, where they had written some tracks before others, and they just decided, all right, well, this is going to be the album. It's still a hefty album, but you've got to be optimistic as you go through. Otherwise, you're, you might be tempted to just sort of set it in the pile of other hard rock bands until a point. But they really made it their own. Uh, and the quotes that they took from Alan Watts near the end were absolutely wonderful.
0: I know John raved about that at the time. Mm-hmm. From here we go to the boobiest of prizes, Um, the worst song and worst album and for me they're linked so I'm gonna mention them together and then you guys do as you will as we then move on to best of the best so my worst song is The Bureau by Gerard Way off the album Hesitant Alien by Gerard Way and here is why because when I re-listened to that song that I had almost forgotten about very recently it was like someone took an ice pick and jabbed it into my eardrum it's absolutely unlistenable The Bureau the intro track to Gerard Way's first solo record is unlistenable it's just brutal and then of course that album has its own way we panned it we panned it quite a bit it just it wasn't good it was and it's such and it's such a bummer no you're in a bad position when the the critic is saying it just wasn't good the bad, the, the thing that's really <laughs> baffling to me is Gerard Way is an imaginative person he he writes comics he has done tons of great work with My Chemical Romance. He's just such a great musician and singer. And to make this crap was so heart-wrenching and so confusing.
1: Let me let me drive this nail in a little further because I it. am right there with you for the pair. Literally <laughs> for the pair. Um, and I admit it was kind of another one of those cases of, of an arbitrary pick, but the arbitrary pick makes a lot of sense when you consider all the same reasons you just mentioned the first track the first track of the album was so crappy listen to some of these lyrics everybody keep it calm tonight everyone we're going live tonight everyone's getting on tonight everybody's getting on and so am i uh, and he tries to turn this into a kind of anthem here let me just segue this into this is the bureau of course and let me just segue this into the uh, worst album. Obviously, this is the worst album, because the album is just so forgettable. I didn't remember a thing until I re-listened, and now, even now that I have re-listened, I still don't remember a thing. It's not that I expect every song to be some sort of earworm, although it helps. Frankly, that's why I raised Fall Out Boy, but banal as they are, these songs are actually phenomenal earworms in Fall Out Boy, so as a critic, I know when I'm beat, but for Hesitant Alien, all I can say is why. Yeah. I mean, as a musician, personally, usually there's some gravitas at play. Something inside you that says, I believe in the project at hand as I'm creating it. This is a, a bold contribution. I am important. I'm trying to make something. And I just don't see it here. I can't even empathize with what's going on, with whatever drive kept this album going as it went. And believe me, we empathize a lot on this podcast. We try. We're constantly giving things the benefit of the doubt. It's especially true as of recent albums. So perhaps it was just his job to make an album. So he made an album. And in this case, I guess that makes this the musical equivalent of a TPS report. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I'm still going to go with Fallout. All uh. the way. Pick a song off of it to be the worst song. I, I recommend I, I maintain Thurby.
1: that from the beginning of this episode. Uh, Fallout Boy at least had... Catchy as much as yeah, they hate them. They're earworms. But that's the whole
2: thing. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> Fair I enough. do not enjoy them. If I'm reacting this way towards a song, it means John that has a, a I personal vendetta against Fallout Boy. Yeah, which is a shame because they made some really good music when they first started off. That's true. Not I great, but really good. Quite agree
1: with that. But whatever they. They're they're at least deserving of radio play. I don't think this
0: is... (laughs) No, definitely not. All right, from here, (coughs) we're going to go to the pinnacle of pinnacle. The best of the best of the best of the best, sir. So let's start with the best song. So for me, the best song was actually tough to pick. The best album, also tough, but once I picked that album, I knew I wanted to pick a song from that album, and I couldn't decide. But no spoilers, let's go to best song first. Invisible by Black Violin featuring Farrell Munch. Hmm. There's so many great songs on Black Violin, but the reason Invisible is so great and my best song of the year is because it takes their theme of stereotypes and trying to break through walls and not being overlooked and not being invisible. And that's all the song is about is, you know, this idea that I'm not invisible, I'm here just because of my skin color or my talent or where I grew up or where I'm from or my sex, gender, whatever i'm not invisible i'm here i'm a person i can make change and it just had a power that unlike any other song had this year so for me it was easy once i focused to decide that invisible was the best song all right i respect that choice that's um thinking about the world and the state
1: of the world as it is i think that is uh, very important to consider those things but uh at the end of the day, I, I like my music, <laughs> so no, and I really appreciate what Black Violin did. It's just, um, yeah, picking out a specific song on that album was tough, um, and picking out a specific song on the album Bad Dimension was tough. Uh, the other album, in fact, it was even tougher, but this one I could decide. Much Sinister off of Emergence by God Sticks, there was a third track on this album. I feel tense and alive all at once with this song. I may not have been as enamored with Emergence as I was with Invisit's Conundrum, the previous album, but if you listen to that episode, you'll know that the margin is pretty shallow. Godsticks are phenomenal musicians, and at every step I'm enthralled by what they put out. But this song, Much Sinister, is, to me, just the best—it has the best song arc of the year, and that's not something we really had a category for earlier, um, and that is what makes it the winner. I believe it's the single, but God, what a single! It feels as if they're raising the stakes every single measure. It goes from, like, it goes from one hook to another better hook. Obviously, it's just probably pre-chorus into the chorus, but whatever. It feels like you're just creating one little catchy melody after the other. But it's more than that. I loved God Sticks previously, on Invisit's Conundrum, mostly for feeling miserable. <laughs> and this song actually shows evolution to me in that I love it for, as I said, feeling lively. I feel alive and and also kind of tense, but mostly alive. It takes a lot for a song to do that to me because mostly I'm affected by the tear-jerking stuff. But to to me, this is just so arousing. It kind of falls under that driving music or whatever. Whenever I'm listening to it, I want to move around. Um... It takes a lot for a song to do that to me. Mostly, miserable wins. And it's not that I think Godsticks should go in the direction of more positive music. I don't want them to do what TV and the radio did. I kind of want them to stay miserable. Obviously, I have, I have no say in this matter. I love miserable Godsticks. Um, they actually sent us the track clinical privately. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when, after we did the interview, and that still works magic for me. Uh, still near t- tears every time with that. But, but, this song is kind of an oddball in the fact that it, it, is, it is rousing. And it's
2: Godsticks. I don't know. Love it. For me, there was a lot of contenders for best song. Um, I was thinking the Concerto by Ben Folds. That didn't quite make the cut. I was thinking Remembrance uh, from Donnie Trumpet. That didn't quite make the cut either. Even the Groundwalks with the Time in a Box. It. These were all close contenders. But honestly, I got to go with lack of scrutiny. It was... The best of Emergence with the best of their previous work. It was an incredible closing track for the album. Really did a lot to sum it up and make me feel beautiful right at the end. It was nearly the best vocals because he's just belting at this point. It was, in fact, my most virtuosic. It was second of my most moving songs. I mean, it was second in like a half a dozen categories, and I just didn't want to make it first in so many of them at the end of the day. It really is an incredible just piece of work. It was,
1: it was hard to choose off of God Sticks, although I will say I think I heard Much Sinister uh, much earlier than some of the other tracks because they released a video for it, and it got it got it in my head. It sort of kind of ramped me up for the album, so then when I finally got the album, it, I, I even grew to love that song even more, Much Sinister, so that's why there was some preference.
0: I love that album. I do. I love God Sticks. I just can't pick out a song from it. I, I hear what you guys are saying about those to. songs, but I just... I don't like one better than the other. It's not that I can't pick them apart. It's that I literally don't have a best it's, song of those songs, okay, it's so fair. I had to that's, go somewhere else. That's what I said about. Invisit's I want to argue this
2: one, but it's okay. <laughs> um, as far as best album is concerned, I, from my point of view, there really was no contest. Even though I kind of didn't talk about it, you guys did. Godsticks Emergence. There was like, it's it's hard to say any other album this year, purely because this was the tightest piece. I raised it. I raised it to a four nine. I mean, I did that previously. It, it's something I can't argue with because it's tight. All across the board, it's tight. It's number two everywhere that matters. And it pulled one or two number ones. I just didn't want to talk about it too much. But Godstick's emergence really is the best of everything, just shy of being something perfect. It's not quite the best opening, not quite the best closing of the year, but that's only in the context of this year. When, I'm saying, when I want to write down it f- here, there, and everywhere, best lyrics here, best album there, most moving, most moving, most singular, most everything. I can't. I can't. So that's why I kind of just didn't talk about it today until this point. It's Godsticks. I mean,
0: it's almost a foregone conclusion for me. So my best album... I was tempted to pick Blurryface just to make Steve's head explode because it wouldn't make sense to be my best, the best album of the year, but it's not. It's, it was my most enjoyable because I loved it so much, but I knew it wasn't the best thing we'd seen. My best album, if you look at our ratings, it's kind of apparent, especially now with the changes I made at the beginning of the episode, is Stereotypes by Black Violin. Huh. It's just one of those albums that, like I said they're taking i feel like they are the next step this is where music is going at least in some way they are a leader of the next step and this album says it all i just i've talked it to death both on that episode that we reviewed the album on this episode talking about individual songs and individual moments and the album itself stereotypes you know just it's the complete package it doesn't stand out in any one place it stands out everywhere i seem to recall that last year we were Either
1: all the same or we were two in one. This year, we're going to have three separate albums. Banda Magda's Amorte law*. I knew um, that one was coming. I had talked it up well. <laughs> I, I, although I've loved this album a little bit privately. Um, I knew this was going to be the best of the year right after I heard it, which is a little presumptuous considering we had more year to go. <laughs> <laughs> um but, but I, was I felt pretty, that way about... I was um, pretty confident.
0: When we first heard Godsticks, I felt that way. Envisage, like, yes. Yeah. Let, me, let me kind of get this
1: out for a second. This album, even though I gave it a 4.9, I was like actually spending the entire episode here deciding whether I was going to throw it up to the 5. I don't know yet. Maybe I'll save that for next year. I don't know. But this album is exhilarating. I... Is kind of connected to that Godsticks comment and the fact that their their track much sinister made me feel a kind of exhilarated at the same time? This whole album makes me feel exhilarated. It's it's even the soft songs are exhilarating. It's entrancing. When I put this album on, I'm on another planet. I'm in a fantasy land. What's more, kind of like uh, kind of like John here, this was never my genre. I think this is another album that transcends genre. It's it's. Banda Magda. It's Magna herself. It's Magna uh, Giaconu. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a cross-section of her mind. It's what Joe Benjamin said. She's crazy and in the best of ways. We go through a lot of albums. And let's be honest, sometimes it's a chore. Two hours of analysis. Minute, minute little decimal ratings, you know. They have their place. But sometimes it just comes down to a binary. They either make the mark or they don't. They either draw you in or they don't. I find this album addicting i'm dancing to it i'm crashing my car to it it's wonderful and finally this is the cheesiest thing i might ever say on this podcast this album actually kind of made me want to fall in love again that is how (laughs) exhilarating it is don't have a special someone right now that is how tear-jerking this album is and it's tears of joy not tears of sadness like i've cited many times on this on this list here. This album is joyful like only love is joyful. It can't be contained and you just want to grab the next person, shake them, and pass it along. That is why this is easily my favorite album of the year.
0: Well, well, let's take a brief pause, or, well, I'll keep talking so Steve can cry quietly in the corner. (laughs) Um, We have some afterthoughts, but before we get (laughs) to that, I want to do something a little better this year than I did last year. I had Steve rattle off some thank yous for us because I couldn't remember every guest that we had. But seeing how this is the first complete year of Crash Chords Autograph, my exclusive interview show that I've done where Steve was featured on one episode, but my interview show that's been running for a a whole year, which means a lot of guests, I wanted to take the time to actually thank each guest both on Crash Chords Podcast and Crash Chords Autographs individually, starting with the Crash Chords Podcast and our guests this year in no particular order. Thank you to Andy Heidel, Robert, Chuck Collins, and Ed Reynolds, Kida St. Cyr, Nelson Lugo, Painless Parker, Joe Benjamin, Anya Keister, Rachel Shank, Killy, Mockstar Dwyer, Tony Canalotto, and of course, last but not least, Devin Jackson-Mullen. Of AKMGP, a.k.a. Anxious Kids Make Good People. Yes. Um, Thank you, guys. You enriched our podcast, brought interesting albums, unique experiences, so thank you for joining us. Next, we move on to Crash Chords Autographs, which is a much longer list. So, again, in no particular order, starting with the most recent interview I've done, You Bread Raptors, Bag of Tricks Cat, Joseph Bertolozzi, Claire, Alice, Kevin Martin, Carly Ritter, Ruben Romero, Matt, Paul, and Jacob of ICS, that's the ice cream social podcast, (laughs) Jewel Thief, Joe Masterpiro, and all of Barnes & Noble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whole store, wonderful institution.
0: Uh, Bob Sally, Sexy Heroes, Alexis Brown. Jose Ikirza, Insane Ian, Megaran, Kyle Stevens, Oh my God, Graham Elwood, Graham <laughs> Elwood, YT Cracker, Mike Furman, Beefy, Adam Warrock, The Scion Project, which was a written interview but still important to thank, Shy Boy, Sulfur, and M C Lars. Finally, I just want to thank, even though we mentioned a few of them already, I do want to thank our devoted listeners. All of them, as well as specifically those who have written in and sent us uh, requests. We appreciate it. We like the diversity of getting something back from the audience. So, also in no particular order, Star F, Jessica Votaw, Kristen Vislaki, Jessica Ferraro, Knockjaw, and Mark H. The mysterious Mark H. Mysterious Mark H. Hope to hear from you, Mark. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, finally, the biggest thank you to our entire listening audience. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening here or on autographs or for reading articles on the site when we publish them. We appreciate you. Thank you. I just realized that I never
1: actually explained musically why I think <laughs> Mortela is my favorite album. I just explained what it meant to me. But it can't be—it really can't be explained. I would encourage everyone to just go out and seek this. And unfortunately, you have actually, to do a little bit more work. You have to either go on to Bandcamp um, because it's not on Spotify. It's not even sold in record stores over here because, well, actually, no. I think it was produced over here, but it's not, like, sold. you got to order it separately. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I felt I needed to pitch how you can reach this album.
2: I'm assuming that we're going to be revisiting this uh, ensemble because i know it's one artist with an ensemble cast of musicians mm-hmm. if they ever produce another album if it's right. around it's around the corner
1: because yeah. actually that was old for what we do it was 2013 um but we let it slide because
2: it's only a year a year prior so but actually speaking of uh re-reviews i mean we did a lot of repeats this year We did. flying lotus uh, Muse. They Might Be Giants, Muse, Ben Folds in a different capacity, God Sticks. Actually, one of the ones I wanted to do, even though it's A, a children's story, a uh, children's album, and B, it would have been the third time I reviewed them, They Might Be Giants came out with a children's album called Why. Great
0: name for a children's album. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And, That's and, and
2: it's something them going back to it, because they were always like borderline uh, serious adult band and a children's band. And it would be interesting to do a children's album by them.
1: I wish we could do a They Might Be Giants album every week, but at least would be stocked for a very long time. That's well, true. yes, there's that. Um, Alright, what did I wish I'd reviewed? Well, it's kind of a general thing this year, and unfortunately I'm repeating myself, I think, from previous years. I still want to bring on something that is a little more hardcore classical, because while Black Violin is a great project, um, and they are classically trained musicians, it's still obviously reaching over to the hip-hop scene in order to make it a little bit relatable. It's a great concept, but I wanted to go for something just a little bit more pure, and I don't mean like neoclassical, I mean contemporarily classical. Contemporary classical, which has always been cited as a bit of a misnomer um, and a bit of a ridiculous category, because otherwise, why would you call it classical? But it's people trained in classical tradition, and it's something I'm I'm a little more aware of now than I had been. I usually go back for that stuff, but I'm also looking for weird threads, so I still can't say exactly when I will bring it
0: on. I just know that it is in our future. Um I have five different albums that I wish that we had reviewed this year. <laughs> Can um, I do
2: my one other one? Sure, go for yeah. it. I wanted to do Cage. Cage uh, the Elephant came out with another one. Tell album. Me I'm Pretty. Which yeah, we haven't I done love them the in a while. I know, and what, they were the second album we ever reviewed. Third? I think so, yeah. Second Something or third? like that. What was that? Cage the Elephant. Cage the Elephant, episode two? I yeah. know, it's been a while, but I kind of didn't want to do
0: another band again yeah. this year. Fair enough. Um... So, my five albums that I wish we'd reviewed, some I've mentioned on the show, some I have not. Of course, um, MC Lars put out a brand new record this year called Zombie Dinosaur LP. Um, I wish I could have brought that on because I think both of you guys would have really dug it. Another rap album that uh, an artist I didn't know I liked, actually, until I saw him perform with MC Lars live the night I interviewed him. And his name is Spose, as in suppose, Spose, and uh, his album, Why Am I So Happy?, of course, the Hamilton cast recording. I talk Hamilton to death. I love that record, and I it's love that musical. It's for
2: me now because you talked about it so much. <laughs>
0: You'll get over it. The same thing happened to Shave of the Dark Lord, and you love him now. Yeah. Um, Truth. I, I also wanted to do About Last Night, which is by a band called Sleeper Agent. They're in the vein of Paramore, female-fronted, pop-punk kind of rock outfit. I really enjoyed them. They were recommended to me by Graham Elwood, actually. And then the final album I wish we had done, because actually Steve mentioned it too, is 1989 by Taylor Swift. Um, We never actually got around to doing it, but I I kind of wanted to take it on because I think there's some quality there. And I think it would be an interesting discussion of pop music. That said, those are my wish we'd review. Okay. Sounds good.
1: Um we are going to forego the spam segment. I've done this uh a few years in a row now where I forego it on the year in review as a nice little hopeful nod to the fact that maybe we'll be supplied in uh comments um real people comments on a on a weekly basis. real people we have more this year than robots. we've had in the past. We have had a lot this year in fact, so i I believe that's starting to the franchise is starting to turn around <laughs> uh. All right, so that will take us finally to our first review of 2016. John discovered this little pattern that was completely unintentional, where apparently, just like we cycle from week to week through Matt John Steve, Matt John Steve, apparently we've been doing that annually too, where the first album of the year has gone Matt John Steve, Matt John Steve, or or something like that.
2: Well, the first album of the year and the last album of the year are the same person. The first album weird. of the year
1: are the, oh yeah yeah it's exactly well, how it is so that, well obviously I started and ended this year. Then the year. next
2: album is the first person. Yes, I know, but it's <laughs> okay. it's well, that's just how it's working out. So that's, that's
1: true. That's how I noticed. That. All right, so um, case point, I get to go first. Uh, picking the beginning album of the year is challenging because I don't like to go too esoteric and I don't like to go too popular. I like to go somewhere in the middle, and we've done pretty good with that. Done pretty good with it lately. I remember. Uh, Matt, two years ago, you delivered us new by Paul McCartney. Now, you might think, well, of course, he's very popular, but nowadays, people aren't really like edging for the new Paul McCartney album, so I thought it was very interesting that we decided to consider him in the present day. Uh, and then the next year, uh, John brought us Aphex Twins
2: Zero. Which, which is a 10-year hiatus for a 10-year hiatus,
1: you? and started us on this, this, this string of actually doing hiatus albums after a long hiatus. Uh, so that was an interesting thing. Um, this year, I don't know if you're gonna like this, or maybe you will, but I think it's interesting. Because she's an artist who has been either lauded or panned, both sides of the spectrum. We're
2: doing Bjork. I, oh, I was gonna say it. I was gonna say it.
1: I think she would be a fascinating artist to look at on Crash Chords, just from a critical perspective. I want to give her her due I don't want to just dismiss her as a lot of people do. Eh, she has an annoying voice. She's Icelandic. She has a accent. I,
2: yeah, it's called we'll an figure. accent.
1: And actually, it's a very adorable accent. You ever listen to early, like, early 90s interviews? Ah, adorable. Young Bjork was, was, was hot. Anyway, um, so that's out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's out now, either. Yeah. What's the album called? The album is called Vlnikkjurra. Or something like that. Uh, yeah, Volnicura is how it's, I believe it's how it's pronounced. Um, it's probably Icelandic, and it's, I'm probably butchering it. We actually have done an Icelandic band before. That was Sigurås, uh and Kveker back in episode 60. So now Which
2: we're doing an
1: Volnikkjurra, and it's a 2015 album. Obviously, we can't expect a 2016 album in the very first week of 2016. But we're doing Björk.
0: All right, well... Um, I hope everybody enjoyed our year in the review. I know I really enjoy doing these every year, um, and they get more and more detailed, honed, and exciting every year. So thank you for listening as always. Thank you for spending another year with Crash Chords. And remember, music is life. And life is good. good.